Hey, Pac-12 sports fans, do you want to get killer seats to see your favorite team for the price of a beer or a large pizza? Are you tired of paying for all the inflated markups from brokers or last-minute convenience charges so you end up paying courtside prices for nosebleed seats? Go to onein100.co. That's onein100.co. Feeling lucky? Try it now. The novelty of 1 in 100 is that there's no place online that's doing online raffles to win tickets to events. It's a totally new way to score tickets to your favorite events and new way to see your favorite Pac-12 team. The cost of potentially scoring tickets with 1 in 100 is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. Score a pair of tickets for less than a cost of a beer. Your first raffle ticket is free after signing up. The experience of using 1 in 100, which is extremely fun and exciting, from picking your lucky number to the feeling of potentially scoring premium tickets, feeling lucky? Try 1in100.co. That's onein one zero zero dot C-O. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we're the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football with all you lovely people out there. We appreciate you coming back each and every week to hear what we have to say about the Conference of Champions. Uh, We want to make it interactive. A lot of questions you guys have sent in. You can interact on Twitter at Pac-12 Podcast, or if you'd like to email, that's where we get a lot of our correspondence, Pac12Podcast at gmail.com. You can also call or text. We've got some texts this week, 424-532-0678. And of course, our website is Pac12Podcast.com. You can find all of our old episodes. You can find what our picks are for every week, the survivor pool, all of that fun stuff. And Dave, Dave actually won the picks this week. So it's been a little, it's been a minute since he's done that. So Congrats, Dave, on a three and one week. Do you have like some celebratory music for me? Like some uh, sort of triumphal march? Yeah, how about I was thinking more of Yeah, there we go. There we go. I was thinking more <laughs> of like a John Philip Sousa type thing. You know, it was one oh. of those like really upbeat um it was a big week for me. Um and your Trojans, they almost did it for me. They almost let Colorado back in enough. To give me the four and clean sweep, yeah, the last. That's a spoiler alert, but uh, yes, it was it was good. So the the only game we picked differently was the Cal UCLA game, and it was very 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 wrong for me. So uh, we'll get to all of that stuff uh, coming. It wasn't up. that wrong. It was only like thirty eight points off. <laughs> That's all. It's funny. I I mark on my board. This, you got green marks on the board this week because you were actually above 500. Normally, you don't get the green marks because you're mm-hmm. below 500. So, but good, good job. But I'm still up by two games, and uh, oh, you're you're out of their survival pool too. So, but oh, interesting, interesting. interesting. <laughs> well, there okay, there was some news that happened. I forget when it w- was, but it was like early in the week, so we didn't really get to chat uh, chat about it. It wasn't the uh, that the uh, 
the judge in Los Angeles decided that show cause penalties are are no longer are legal in California. And Larry Scott kind of put his foot in his mouth with that, where he's talking about maybe the NCAA, you know, they wouldn't be in the NCAA anymore, like the California schools. Just seemed silly. But it was something different, Dave. What, what, what did you think about the latest debacle on the uh, the Larry Scott train of debacles? So, all right. So if you don't know what we're referring to, it's the uh, the the news that broke, I think it was a Yahoo story by uh, the great Pete Thamel um, about uh, Woody Dixon, an executive at the uh, Pac-12 office who oversees kind of the whole officiating operation, like way, way above even the director of officiating. Um, but he apparently phoned in and um, essentially prevented that um, targeting call on JT Daniels in the Washington State game from actually being confirmed on the field. They called it targeting, and then they went up to the booth and they determined it wasn't targeting, and apparently that was because of Dixon. And, you know, that one, when we were watching that game, we were like, oh, yeah, you could have called that targeting, but we're fine with it. And it was the one later in that game where Porter Dixon, uh, Porter Gustin, um, full on did the whole targeting. Like he did every step of the targeting where he launched from his feet, went head first with the crown of his helmet, right into the head of Gardner Minshew. And it wasn't called at all. And it wasn't reviewed. And it makes you wonder how much of an influence on officiating behavior happened because of that. So it's like a, a few different parts. One, um, nobody outside of like the actual officiating crew or the, the, you know, the flag, the, whatever it is, the headquarters in the PAC 12 offices where they have the people who are reviewing all the calls. Nobody besides that should have any role in making a determination on what's a foul and what isn't. And then second, how much of an influence has that behavior had in the past beyond this single instance? And has it influenced some of these calls that have been made in PAC 12 games, both past and present and potentially future? Yeah. Uh, and, and Larry Scott spoke about it. It didn't sound, you know, he made it sound like, Hey, we, this didn't seem like a good idea. We're going to change our policies going forward. So you can't have random people calling in or the boss's boss of the officials calling in and go, yeah, don't do that or do this. Um, I don't know. What, what did you think? It just, to me, it just seemed like just one other thing that just the PAC 12 doesn't do correctly. And it just I think it's I think it's way beyond that. I think it's way beyond that. I think that's a woefully inadequate response. Um, this is the kind of thing that's obvious from moment one that you can't have somebody doing this. The fact that they that anybody thought that was a good idea or something that could just be swept under the rug is that's actual integrity of the sports stuff that yeah. we're now getting into um, because you can't like, so whatever officials go through a certain amount of training and certainly you can always find people who think officials are biased and I'm sure there are instances where they are, but at least there's a veneer of professionalism around that. Some random executive at the PAC 12 office making a determination about something. You don't know what's influencing that decision from a marketing perspective, from an advertising perspective, from a money-making perspective. You have no idea. That's why you want as few people involved as possible. So if you're going to point fingers at anybody, it's one of those four people on the crew or the three people back in whatever the, the the booth is back at the Pac-12 offices, but the having it just that there's there's other people who can call in and just kind of overturn a call that should never have been the case. Um, and I think you need to like they need to make a statement such that whatever Woody Dixon is reassigned to something else or whatever. I mean, you you just can't have this. This is the kind of thing that I think. Um, drastically undermines the Pac-12's reputation as a credible league, more so than 
even the bowl performance last year, I think this is the kind of thing that's an actual, but I mean, I, and I think it was reported thus, and I don't know if it's been treated thus. It's an actual scandal like that. Oh, whatever yeah. his motivations were, this is a real big deal. Um, and I, I, I don't know that Larry Scott is, uh, dealing with it with the seriousness that it deserves. No, he said there wouldn't be any discipline. Uh, they were still going to do more in the investigation. He wasn't sure if this has happened before, but it just opens up this huge can of worms. Like how many times did that happen? And at, at the end of the, the Stanford, the, uh, I'm sorry, it was the, uh, Washington state USC game. Did they not call targeting in that instance? Because, you know, the, that was the Port Augustine hit, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. They, and so they didn't call was that. that an influence? Yeah. So earlier in the game is when the, you know, uh, JT Daniels was hit when he was on his knees and it looked like the, and according to the report from, from Yahoo and Pete Thamel, who's been a guest on our show on, on this podcast before, uh, you know, they, the officials on the, the field thought, it, I mean, they didn't call targeting, but they called a personal foul, the booth, I mean, they reviewed it and the, in the stadium, they felt it was uh targeting, then the headquarters felt it was targeting, um, but then the override came in from the third party that it wasn't. So then did that change? They didn't even review the, the, the Port Augustine one, which was clearly targeting at the end of the game. Was that all involved? And that's just in one game. So then every time a call comes up, people are like, oh, there's going to be some call from somewhere that they're going to, you know, oh, this is better for the Pac-12 if that's not targeting. So it just opens up this can of worms. I agree with you 100%. Um, I just think the, I mean, it was quick. It was a pretty quick response. He, it was PAC 12 basketball media day the next morning. And all Larry Scott was talking about was an FBI scandal and this, a football scandal during the PAC 12, uh, basketball media day. But I, you know, I, I'm, I was kind of happy that he addressed it and he admitted that there was some, you know, they, they did stuff wrong, but it was just so inadequate, the, the response. And I don't know, maybe there'll be something more, but I would think someone like that shouldn't be. Willie Dixon shouldn't be around. I mean, he shouldn't be the boss's boss of the officials if he's meddling like that. Yeah, and I don't know how much autonomy he had in doing that. Maybe it was something that he was directed to do it. And if so, whoever was directing him to do that, however high it went, um, whoever was in charge of making that decision, I'm sure it was Dixon, um, at least on some level operating with a level of autonomy. Um, but whoever was responsible for that decision should be um, at best reassigned. And like I... I don't like to call for people's jobs ever, um, but that's the kind of thing that I think could be a completely justified um, firing too. Um, yeah, and he's it, a, it, I mean, he's an executive. I don't know there's how many more people are above him besides Larry Scott, right? Like he's that's the thing. Yeah, he's I the think, boss this, of the head of the officials. Who's a uh, uh, Coleman is uh, is Coleman? Yeah, Coleman. Yeah, yeah. David Coleman, I think his name is. Right. Um, yeah, and I, and this is the kind of thing where I think again. Uh, not as much as um, the lack of TV deal and the money issues, but much more so than the actual performance on the field. This is the kind of thing that I think Larry Scott should feel some job pressure about. This is this is like asleep at the switch nonsense stuff that yeah. should just not be happening. Whether the officials are good or bad, uh, you know, we can make jokes about that, but they're, they're still within like a standard deviation of like whatever. The ACC sucks too. Like there's a lot of bad officiating in college football. Um, but you can't have the hint of even the possibility of corruption, um, which is what this entails. Yeah. And it's not like the, the Pac-12 refs had a great, uh, reputation going into this. So then you're like, okay, they've been bad for, you know, it's not like if it were really good officiating and then this was, this comes up, that's one thing. It's it just what's, it's not in a vacuum though. You've known the officiating has been horrible. There's been so many nationally prominent spots where, uh, they've messed up and it, it was a big deal. And sometimes it's between other conferences and, uh, you know, everyone brings those up again. And so there's, there's just been so much, 
uh, going on. Just the black eye, the Pac-12 uh, doesn't need. It doesn't help our podcast, Dave, when the Pac-12 keeps screwing up like this. Well, it gives us something to talk about. I'm fine with it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, having said that, I guess we should get into our Pac-12 roundup. Only four games, Dave. Did you? What'd you do with all your free time? You didn't get to. You don't have to watch games all the time. <sighs> so I watched all the games on Saturday. Friday night, I had to catch up on Utah Arizona because I was at a wedding. Oh. Um, but I was at the I was at the after party watching the second half of that one. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, yeah, no, I watched all game. Saturday was perfect because it was all well balanced. You had a twelve thirty game. You had a four p.m. game. And you had a 7 p.m. game. It was great. It was true. Yeah. Every I, bit of it. I got to cover the late game. So I got to watch the early and then kind of driving in. I didn't get to watch so much as much of the uh, the the middle one, the uh, the Cal UCLA game. But, uh, you know, obviously I got to watch the whole. You mean the hashtag, the hashtag Bruin Revolution? The Bruin Revolution game. Yes. Um, yeah. But there's I feel like the landscape has changed a little bit in the Pac-12 this past week, even though there was only four games. I feel like I know. I, I got a better feeling where these teams are going now. There's still a bunch of question marks out there, but I don't know. Do you feel the same way? Like, okay, I think that's what we got now. Yeah. I mean, every time I've kind of felt that way, something has kind of thrown me a little bit, but I feel like, I feel like we have some strong indications of trends at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll get into some of them because I think there's some teams that are clearly trending downward, unfortunately. And there are some teams that are clearly trending upward. Um, and then there are some teams that are just going to be middling all year. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting, but yeah, I think I think we're getting a picture now. Well, this first team we're going to talk about, they're uh, they're they're trending kind of neutral, you know, uh, because well, I guess you're already at the bottom. So our number twelve team in the conference, Oregon State Beavers. I don't know where I stand on them at twelve. <laughs> they had a buy because because there's another contender uh, uh, after this week. I think there. I think there is. Um, There's they, another couple of contenders, actually. I would say after this week, we'll see what uh, what the Beavers do. But yeah, they're kind of tread water there at number twelve. They've been there the last few weeks. This is the uh, the power poll, uh, the power rankings we do. Uh, so all of the Pac-12 uh, publishers in the twenty four seven Sports Network vote on this. So that's what we're going by. And then David and I will give you, if you're new to the podcast, David and I will tell you where we think these teams should be ranked. But we're using the twenty four seven pack to have power rankings for this. And uh, so they had a buy. So no no uh, damage there. Number 11. California Golden Bears. They uh, they lost uh, on, you know, taking at home, taking on UCLA Bruins. So, okay. So where we do you stand? UCLA on, number nine, by the way. UCLA where do you stand nine. on Cal at 11? Because I... We'll get into another contender there because I don't know from an eye test perspective which one passed better, Cal or Arizona. But I guess we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Okay. Um, UCLA um, beat Cal uh, silly, thirty-seven to seven. This was a game. Cal, as we referenced up top, Cal was favored by seven uh, coming into this game. Obviously, based on the uh, what UCLA had shown so far this year. Uh, but if you were paying a little bit of attention last week, UCLA made some strides against Washington. They played that game very competitively. And if you paid attention to the show last week, I kind of poo-pooed that a little bit. I was like, you know, I think they are making some strides in the running game, but there's going to be steps back and this might be one. Um, I still thought UCLA would cover the seven because that felt like too many. But um, 
I wasn't anticipating this, but this is um, this is if 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 progression is truly linear, then this was another step forward. Um, UCLA uh, pretty much dominated this game from start to finish. Uh, the first half should have been worse. It was thirteen to nothing at halftime, but that was largely because UCLA got way too cute in the red zone. Uh, a couple of times, um, this easily could have been twenty-one nothing at the half, and then uh, you know a potentially a forty-point win for the Bruins. Um, uh, Joshua Kelly uh, has started running back the last three games and has gone over a hundred yards in each game. He's really good. Um, he's a good, powerful back with really good vision. Um, finds finds cutback lanes all the time that other backs on UCLA just wouldn't be able to find, let alone hit. Um, and UCLA's offensive line is playing a ton better, um, opening up better holes, protecting the passer better, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is responding better. But the end result was that UCLA actually ran the ball uh, 55 times in this game against just 15 pass attempts. So they're they're starting to establish a little bit of an identity um, that I, I think will serve them pretty well, as long as Joshua Kelly remains um, you know upright, because basically every back on this team is yeah, just okay. Uh, but Kelly's been pretty good. And um, and then defensively, I thought UCLA did well enough. Uh, Chris Barnes has really come on at middle linebacker. Um, and that was uh, he was a big part of um, getting to this running game and keeping it from getting on track too much. Uh, quarterback runs were n- a non-factor in this one after McElwain showed a lot with his legs the last few games. And uh, Cal, uh, Cal was just a, a, a turnover machine. Um, most of them didn't come in competitive time, but... Uh, Brandon McElwain had two interceptions and, uh, the, and Cal had, uh, three lost fumbles as well, including two of those by McElwain. He now has 11 turnovers just himself this year. Um, you're not going to win any games no. if he continues to play like that. This is a, a, basically a carbon copy of his performance against Arizona, except he wasn't even as effective in the past game. Um, UCLA just kind of dominated this game. Not too many other takeaways from it. Yeah, it was, uh, I didn't get to watch a lot of the first half and it was 13, nothing, but then I got to, I, I rewatched a little bit and uh, yeah, it looked like it could have been worse, you know, for sure. Like you said, and then Cal, I thought, okay, maybe they'll get things going in the second half. They got a, a pretty good drive to start. And then UCLA came right back with an answer. I think Cal tried to respond to that. Uh, they had a fourth and one gave the ball back. And I think from that point on, it just, there was nothing that was working. They kept showing Justin Wilcox on, on the sideline, and he looks sick, you know, and I think when you mess around with quarterbacks and, you know, you, you had three options, they end up going with two for a while, then they switched to one. And the guy that you didn't include was the dude that was doing pretty well from last year. I think now you get a lot of scrutiny um, because of that. And and like you said, your tweet was great with uh, McElwain. Um, just turn the ball over a ton, you know, and this just does not look like a team even early on, uh, you know, they start off three and zero. the The win at BYU that's a team that just looks like Jekyll Hyde. They're garbage one week and they look good the next week. Um, you know, North Carolina, Idaho State. I guess we didn't learn a lot, but they have not won a Pac twelve game yet. And I think that's why uh, I had them number eleven, and that's why I think the our poll had them at number eleven. They just did not look good. I, I think the defense can play well at times. I mean, they gave up a bunch of points against UCLA, but at some point when you keep turning the ball over and you get no offensive production, it's going to be hard for the defense to continue to uh, to carry you. So I don't I don't know what the problem is here, but man, this is this is definitely trending in the wrong direction. Um, and they this is not a program that's looking very good right now. 
Uh, they got they got a chance to 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 right the ship, but they got to go on the road in Corvallis and play Oregon State this coming weekend. But man, I I don't know what I'm seeing from Cal. I thought UCLA looked better against Washington too. Did not expect this at all. I this was to me. I felt like all right, Cal's going to bounce back. Um, they're going to start playing well again, and they've gone exactly the opposite. Yeah, and I, I and I was on the okay. McElwain should start train three games ago before he turns the ball over like nine times in two games. Um, because I thought, you know, his legs at least provide him maybe the best asset, but they really didn't even try to run him that much in this game. If you're not going to run that guy, what are you even doing? Right. Uh, you got to start somebody else, whether it's Ross Bowers or Chase Garbers, whatever it is, you cannot start a guy who's going to turn the ball over like that. You just cannot. This game was probably going to be a UCLA win because they're trending a little bit upward the last few games, no matter what. But there was no reason it had to be a 30-point loss for Cal. This could have been a respectable, whatever, like 10 to 14-point loss if they had just not been turning the ball over like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, Cal's, Cal's got some stuff to figure out, and it's uh, it better get figured out quick here if they want to still salvage bowl eligibility. Uh, all right, so the part of the reason I felt Cal was coming back is because, well, I, basically our number, they, they uh, lost close one, that they should, it didn't look like they should have lost to our number 10 team. Arizona Wildcats. But man, they did not look good. Uh, they were on the road taking on our now number five team. Utah Utes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> is this your other uh, contender for, for 12? Yeah. So Zona they have is two, they have two wins though. They have two Pac-12 wins. That's the problem. Right. But it's not a performance measure. It's True. a, it's a, like how you looking right now. And from a, how you looking right now perspective. Um, so Khalil Tate got hurt in this game, right? Like that's a thing that happened for real. But, but even still, they were down 14 nothing basically before this game even started. Like, this was going to be a bad, bad loss, even if Khalil Tate had maintained full health the entire game. He hasn't looked right all year. Um, Utah won 42 to 10. It was 28 nothing at halftime. Yeah. Th- I hey, mean, Utah's known for their offense, right? No, no, <laughs> they're, they're not. And yet, they put up almost 500 yards of offense. Yeah. And I was told before this game that Arizona's defense, no, they're improving. They're better. No, they're not. I mean, Utah was able to do kind of exactly what they did to Stanford, um, except more so. Uh, they dictated on the ground. Uh, Zach Moss, um, Tyler Huntley has started to use his legs a bunch in the last couple of games, and he's looking really good doing it. And when they run the ball the way they did, which is 46 carries for 230 yards, it opens up a ton in the passing game. And Tyler Huntley was, once again, very efficient. 14 of 19, over 10 yards per per attempt, two touchdowns. They even got Britton Covey a touchdown pass. Um, like, And that was when it was getting into full laugher stage. It was kind of a... Two Kind of a dick move, um, but it was <laughs> like it was still like okay, wow, they're they're really putting it to them. Um, so Arizona had to had to play Rhett Rodriguez for most of this game. Um, honestly, I didn't think I, I, I didn't think he looked all of that bad. Um, you know, I was expecting you know a son of a coach thing, like him to just be atrocious out there. He, he wasn't hitting all of his throws for sure, but I mean, he he ran the offense okay at different points. It's just, um, I just think this team is bad. Without Khalil Tate doing what Khalil Tate did last year, this team just doesn't 
have it. They should have lost to the Cal. Even with Cal turning the ball over like four or five times, they should have lost that game. It required two pick sixes for them to win by seven at home against a team that we just saw lose by 30 to UCLA, which was which didn't have a win this year. Um, they're trending in a really, really bad direction. Utah obviously is hitting its stride. They found an identity against Washington State, and they're sticking to it. And uh, And I think it's probably the right one for them. But... Yeah, Arizona is not trending in a good direction. They're actually, for me, based on like eye test alone, they're 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 a contender for twelfth for me. Wow, I mean, so the problem is they just beat Cal the week before, you know. So I know, uh, but I don't I don't do that. I don't do that because the the win expectancy for Cal in that game was like over ninety percent. Like ninety percent of the time with a game with that statistical profile, Cal wins it. Yeah, no, they they screwed that one up too. But that's part of the, their their DNA as a team is they screw it up. Um, okay, so Utah opens this game. Now, they've scored more than 40 points twice in a row. Uh, that's pretty impressive. One of them being on the road against Stanford. They had a seven-plus-minute drive, 15-play TD drive. So they just Utahed the crap out of Arizona to start things off. And you feel like that was kind of like the the rib shots, some body blows, just to kind of warm everything up. Um, Khalil Tate was done after two drives. He just was hobbled, and uh, he never came back. They brought in their freshman. Uh, who was the freshman quarterback? Jabari, Jabari Joyner. Yeah, and then he he didn't look very effective, and that's when they brought in Rodriguez. But uh, like you said, it was 28 nothing at the halftime. Utah had 295 yards. Arizona did have a chance to score. They missed a field goal at the end. But they had like 10 seconds left, so I felt like they could have tried to like hit the end zone once. Did you did you notice that? Like they, It was one of those things where, oh, wait, was this the Friday game? No, no, no. This yeah, was, this was the Friday game. Oh, yeah, this, this is, Friday is about game. Okay. this is about where I started, and yeah, wasn't it about? Uh, I want to say it was like twenty seconds to go, and they had it at like a third and sixteen or something like that, and uh, then they got. Yeah, they had like five, ten seconds ago, five seconds ago, something like that. They probably could have taken one shot. I thought they could have took a shot or whatever, but that, that was a little bit weird. Uh, but then they, you know, and so uh, it was funny. You talked to Kyle, uh, Kyle Whittingham at halftime. And they're like, you know, what do you got to do? It's 28 nothing. He's like, you know, something like to the effect of step on their throat or step on their neck or something. And uh, I know fans really enjoyed that. Well, then they come out and throw a trick play, uh, put it back to Huntley. So that put him up 35 nothing, which you said kind of could have been kind of a dick move. But I mean, it's the third quarter. The game's not over, obviously. Um, he said you had to step on their throat. I thought they played very physical, very tough. Um Huntley did throw an interception by a schooler who's definitely Arizona's best player out there on the defensive side. Uh, he was covering a different dude, and I think Huntley just hung it up a little too long. It's one of those things where you, you felt he's kind of confident because they're up so big, but he just like hung a ball up there deep, and schooler showed what kind of athlete he is. He came over and uh, and picked it off. But the the weird one, and he was, I ended up getting a Pac-12 Player of the Week. Actually, I'll give you the the Pac-12 Players of the Week right now if you want. Um, so Mitch uh, Wichnowski, he for for uh, Utah, the the great punter, Ray Guy Award winner, he got Special Teams Player of the Week, uh, along with Keyshawn Lucier South from UCLA and uh, CJ Verdell for Oregon. But um, that he he ran a fake punt <laughs> when they were up thirty five ten in the fourth quarter, and it worked. Uh, but you know, we, afterwards, you know, it's basically his discretion. It wasn't like a fake punt was called, but it was still another one of those potential sort of dick moves did you i didn't really have an issue with it but well there's some subtext here too because these two teams now they have a little bit of a rivalry like these fan bases don't like each other i wonder if this is and i love seeing it love it 
uh, I wonder if this is something that's kind of brewing now. Um, like just some some like kind of bad blood Bruin between or? these. No, but like something just kind of bad blood between these two teams. No, I meant um, UCLA Bruin. You know, like I, I I got it. Sorry. I got it. I got it. It was it was a it, it was, was awful. A, it was a horrible, <laughs> meaningless pun that I tried to ignore for your sake. Uh, but if you really want to dive into it, we can. Um, <laughs> instead, let's. Uh, but like this, I, I I like that. I like that kind of stuff because I think there needs to be some built-in animosity in some of these newer rivalries in the Pac-12. I like seeing that. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah, run a fake punt up like 32 points. Do it. <laughs> it was a little straight. It was, it was 25 points, but still, um, you know, whatever. I, I think when you're going to do that, you, you have the you have a, a an athlete, a punter like that, because you can run and pick up first downs. You can keep running more clock. You know, I got, I don't have an issue with it, but uh, that was a little, that was a little bit strange. Um, okay. So that was the Friday night game. Pretty good one uh, overall. Uh, number nine, we already oh. talked about. UCLA, right? Uh, number eight, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> they look good against BYU East. Uh, they had a bye. So, no. <laughs> what? Uh, still one of our finest jokes. <laughs> BYU is so bad. And then they're good sometimes and they're really bad. Uh, okay, so that's our number. BYU East always sucks. Yeah, they're they're... They have not won. Uh, okay, so our number uh, seven team we have Colorado Buffalo. So they dropped a little. They uh, they lost on the road uh, to the number four team USC Trojans. Okay, so this game kind of it sort of split the difference between how we like kind of suspected a sort of game like this could go and how it actually went. Like we. We both picked, I think, slightly against our better judgment in picking um, yeah. Colorado to cover because we were talking literally off the air, and then I think we brought it up on the show. This is 100% the kind of game that USC just wins by, like, three touchdowns. Yes. Um, and it totally looked like that for a while. In the third quarter, they were up by three touchdowns. Um, Colorado had a really – so uh, USC ended up winning 31-20. They allowed Colorado back into the game because that's what USC does this year. Um, Colorado had a really – so they were trying to do their usual game plan, which is sort of dink and dunk around the line of scrimmage and then eventually hit a few shots deep. But I don't know why teams always do this against USC because the one, like whatever you want to say about USC's general discipline, all of that different stuff, the one thing they always have is speed around the line of scrimmage. Like they're always going to be able to run down your ball carriers faster than they're able to beat the edge unless they're playing like Ohio State or Alabama. But USC's speed is the strength on defense, and I don't know why teams ever come into the thing with a game plan that, okay, we're going to run a lot of like short little passes around the line of scrimmage and just hope we, I don't know, out-execute them. Um, it just looked like a, a built-to-fail game plan, um, and Steven Montez wasn't sharp even beyond that. You know, If he'd been sharp, maybe it would have been a little bit more competitive with that game plan, but I thought it was a... I thought it was an offensive game plan that just wasn't going to work no matter how sharp Montez was or whatever. Um, LaVisca Chenault got a little banged up in this one. He was banged up early and then he was, I think he was out by the, you know, midway through the second half with a, I think it's being reported as a toe injury. Um, And, you know, Colorado generally wasn't able to run the ball very well, wasn't able to generate much in the pass game and defensively, all right, let's have a talk about JT Daniels because I'm I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. Okay, um, he is 
pretty good, but he is also throwing a lot of just kind of, so Michael Pittman bailed him out twice on balls that just looked like, uh, I'm just going to throw this up there and hope that the receiver comes down with it. And I guess that's a skill to a certain extent, which is trusting your receivers. But if Colorado's cornerback play or secondary play had been better in this one, he would have had at least another pick on top of the two. Yeah, it just he's his his bombs over the middle just lack a little something for me. And I and I, I we joked earlier, you know, the Jake Browning comparison, and obviously his arm isn't like that, but it does seem like he's not throwing those with enough velocity to me. No, I, I think I agree with you there. I think uh, that some of the out stuff he's throwing looks good, but the the deep balls. Now he overthrew one or maybe two in this game, which he hadn't been doing. I think they'd rather. I think they're teaching him to throw it shorter than longer because guys can just go up and make plays. Um, but it, I, to me, it's more of a limitation of the offense, Dave. Where that's like what they're doing is they're not sustaining drives. They scored all three of their offensive touchdowns in the second quarter. Uh, that was, I think it was 21 plays for like 200 yards. And then the other three quarters combined were 40 plays for 134 yards. Like it really was just this feast or famine offense where you got five-star athletes outside yet. Pittman's a five-star. I mean, they literally have three five-star wide receivers. So they just throw it to them and, and hope they make a play. They did it against Washington state and it worked pretty well, or they got a pass interference call. They didn't get as many pass interference calls against Colorado, but they got a few, and then they they connected on some deep balls, basically all in the second quarter, and that's where they scored all their points. Um, it just seems like that it's not the sophisticated offense where they're building on things and moving down the field and sustaining drives. There's none of no that. No one is ever wide open. No one is no. ever wide open. It's there, just dudes covered who are making great plays, which is, I think, a testament to their ability, but... God, the play design just looks atrocious. So that's why I'm not. The guys like, are running into each other. Like there were like <laughs> twice three different. Uh, there were at least two. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought I saw three, but there might have been just two. And it was Tyler Vaughn's each time who was running into somebody. I don't know if it was on him or just the play design itself that sucked. Um, but twice that happened. You can't have guys running into each other when they're running their routes. That's just bad play design. Yeah. So it's hard for me to judge. Like, hey, I think JT Daniels is doing this or that because of what I'm seeing out there. I, I just look at it as, you know, he's what seven games in um, or six games in and it's a freshman, you know, this is his first six games of college or whatever. He's not, you know, look at what Steven Montez was asked to do. And he's, this is his third year. He's throwing behind the line of scrimmage every single time. I mean, that's why he was leading the nation in passing efficiency and, you know, passing percentage, but JT Daniels, I mean, if he's completing a pass, it's like downfield, double covered. Like, that's how he's completing his yeah. passes. So I'm not, I'm like, you know, the, just the fact that you're asking him to do that just seems silly. But the fact that he's doing it okay, like he's had some bad ones, that's a good one. Like, you know, it's hard for me to like knock him. But it really looks like the offense, Dave, is you got a five-star quarterback. You got three five-star receivers. Just throw it down there. I mean, they had zero rushing yards in the first half. Um yeah, I think they ended with like 62, but they only threw for like 17 yards in the second half. It's just not a cohesive looking offense. The defensive side, though, I mean, I've, I've been very critical of this team. I mean, they just played lights out. They didn't have Cameron Smith, their, their leading tackler. And I thought that would be a huge problem because Colorado is great at yards after contact. 
and get yeah, the but ball. USC also has like ten five star linebackers they, in their depth chart. They do, and you know, they brought in Palier <laughs> Naoteote, who's five star kid from Bishop Gorman. They love him, and he was a freaking stud. He led the team in tackles as you know first start middle linebacker. But I didn't understand. You're right though. That's what USC's defense does well. The whole stuff, like if you're running your offense at the line of scrimmage, you're behind. USC's kind of built to stop that. Washington State did that a couple weeks ago. That's they love getting those little tunnel screens and throwing things behind the line of scrimmage and letting guys run after the catch. Well, USC just shut it down. What did Mike Leach do? He started going intermediate stuff, and that was working really well. And they moved the ball down the field. It was great. Colorado never got out of the mode. They're like, well, that's what we do. We throw it behind the line of scrimmage. USC had 16 tackles for loss, and only four of them were sacks. I don't remember how many were just runs that got stuffed. There was a few, but a lot of it were plays they just designed. There were like swing passes and stuff yeah, that just, like, those are designed to fail against a team as fast as USC. Yeah, they, it's like stuff that the play design was happening behind the line of scrimmage. And I get that Montez w- was pressured a lot. The, the pass rush got there uh, when Porter Gustin was in. He's now out for the year, uh, so he has a broken ankle uh, fracture in his ankle so that's a huge blow he has more than half of usc sacks but you know when they were in there pressuring him he got off his spot he didn't look comfortable at all he i think he was 55 percent on the day but they just never got to like quick slants or you know eight ten yards down the field just let him throw the ball you know and, and let it get, get get away from the line of scrimmage the line of scrimmage was taken you know you just have to push the the, the initial play beyond it and for whatever reason uh, Colorado did not do that. So I, I'm not sure what the game plan was, but they never figured that out. And I was asking coaches and stuff like, what is going on? Like, wouldn't you change at some point? But they never did. And that, to me, that was, that was on coaching. Now, you know, should not be in hurt. That certainly, uh, uh, wasn't good, but you know, we didn't see a lot of uh, McMillan who I love the way he's run all year. He didn't look that great. Um, but they just never seemed to get their guys in the right spot and get them in space. And, and they kept with the same game plan, like the entire game. And it just didn't work. Yeah. And, uh, Colorado just didn't like, they looked bizarre. I mean, the, the fact that they didn't adjust away from that offensive game plan, but also, um, that weird, like two point conversion they attempted at the end for no reason when it was 31 20 after they scored the six. And then, they called two and uh, I think that was because the uh, so I was on the field for that. This is the end of the game or, no, you know, a few minutes left. Uh, Montez ran for the other course. It was far away. I couldn't really see if he got in. They never announced that it was a touchdown. They didn't put a touchdown up on the scoreboard and, and Colorado's lined up at the three yard line. We thought they were trying to score. We didn't know it was a touchdown. And I feel like that's what that, there were some reports, too, that that's what my, now, my, uh, Mike McIntyre took you know blame for it, but I feel like no one really knew that that actually was a touchdown. There was no way he should have he should have tried to just kick the extra point. There wasn't a strategic advantage to going for two, but I feel like there was so much confusion on the field. The referees never announced anything, but then they didn't put up there was a touchdown on the scoreboard until they were about to kick off. Once they were kicking off, I'm like, what are they doing? Holy crap, that was a touchdown. Like we didn't know on the field. Huh? I thought it was pretty. Uh, maybe. It- because on the TV feed, it looked pretty obvious. Um, so maybe it was just some confusion on the field. But anyway, that looked odd. Um, I just thought Colorado just looked out of sync. USC's defense, I mean, they're built to do that to teams if they're trying to do all that kind of crap. So that's what happened. Yeah. I was, And, you know, it's going to be a different story. That, but I, I felt like Washington State adjusted pretty well to that. And they, they still battled back and forth. Colorado didn't. And uh, I'm really disappointed at what I saw from Colorado. Maybe it's just, you know, they've never beat USC. It was on the road. 
But this was a team that we felt like they, they looked really good. You know, even even against crappy opponents, they still look like you want a good team to look. And they did not look like a good team. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, they got a, they got a tough test going to Washington. We'll talk about. Um, but I'm not. I'm a little worried about this buffs. Your buffs team, Dave. That for what my, I my saw. Buffs. My buffs, but I might have to go back to readopting UCLA again. So we'll see. We'll uh, see. UCLA looks legit. So um, they're playing now. They won a game, dude. And yeah, no, and- it'll be it'll be really obnoxious if they actually get good. Like, I, I, I don't mean it. <laughs> I mean I'll be really obnoxious if they actually get good. That, it was funny. I tweeted earlier, like, "Hey, who's going to win? Nebraska first, Nebraska or UCLA? UCLA end up winning." Uh, later that evening, Nebraska yeah, had the Nebraska should have won. <laughs> they they should have won so hard. They're up They've by had 10. such horrible luck this year. <laughs> so bad, but we'll see. Um, okay, so that was number six uh, at number four. Our, I mean, sorry, number seven, number four. Number six, we have Stanford Cardinal. They also have a buy. Um, so, yay, Stanford. Uh, We'll see what they are able to do. Utah, we already mentioned, number five. USC, we're already mentioned, uh, number four. Number three, I, I had these guys number two, but we'll get where your thoughts are. Washington State Cougars. Also on a bye. Yeah, it's tough. I, I'm I'm fine with them at three. Um, it's, it's tough for me to say two just because we haven't yet seen them against the class of the conference. Um, but yeah, I'd be fine with two or three for them. Yeah, well, um, they got, it's funny, well, we'll talk about it, but they got, got some big news coming for Washington State, which is cool. Okay, and then, this was the this was the big one. This was this was what the Pac-12 was coming down to. This is what everyone was talking about. Our now new number two team, Washington Huskies. <laughs> and our new number one team, Oregon Ducks. Okay, so this game first was great, tons of fun. Went to overtime. Was exactly how you would have drawn it up if you were uh, the Pac-12, wanting a, a super competitive game. Uh, ends in a nail biter. The whole deal. Um, Oregon won thirty to twenty-seven. Um, I, I thought it was a remarkably evenly played game, um, offensively and defensively. I'd say a big part of why um, Oregon ultimately pulled it out. Like if you're looking at special teams and kick returns. Uh, Tony Brooks James had three kick returns for a total of 96 yards, which included a 56 yard return. Um, I, I think that was a big deal. Um, Washington special teams were not great and they haven't been great all year. Actually, um, Peyton Henry missed a kick in this one um, that, you know, that, that was that was a critical missed kick um, for us. Uh, and it was important. Uh, we were a little Damn worried it. at that point because we both picked uh, Oregon uh, plus the three and a half, I think. And we were actually, look, we're, we're not, um, we're, we're, we're partisans to our picks. We right. were hoping for the Washington three point win. Cause it would have meant we would we win covered, the bet yeah. at and, that and point. We have and, no money on this whatsoever. And it means so much to us for some reason. I don't right. even know why, but it does. Even when we're picking the same, it's not like we're, you know, competing against each other in this case, but it's like, damn it. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was very good that, uh, that, that was missed. Um, so anyway, this was um, uh, 
Washington, from like a stats perspective, like if you look at what they were able to do offensively, they were moving the ball probably easier and better than Oregon was for most of this game. Um, Oregon was relatively efficient running the ball, but not explosive at all. Basically, no big plays in the running game, no big plays in the receiving game. Uh, They were able to move the ball at different junctures, but it was not an easy thing. Washington had a little bit of an easier time. Um, Jake Browning had one bad pick in this one, but he wasn't he wasn't his worst by any means. I thought this was actually a pretty decent Jake Browning game. Um, it was just, you know, kind of the luck of the draw a little bit. And I think special teams um, definitely helped out Oregon in this one. I don't know. What was your read on this one? Because watching it, I kind of came away with the impression that this was a very evenly played game, and Washington is probably a little bit better of a team at this stage of development for both programs. Now, obviously, one could improve, one could get a lot worse the rest of this year. But what was your sense of it? Yeah, I mean, I uh, Washington played better than I thought. I kind of felt Oregon was going to win, like by a touchdown or so. Um, so, you know, I guess when you look at the final, uh, you know, it was a, a three point game, but still, like, I kind of felt like. Washington played pretty well. There was an early interception for Browning. But overall, like, if you compared Browning and Herbert, like, Browning probably played a little better, would you say? Like, I mean, I, there's, I think it's a better team. I think Washington is a better team. There were some advantages with Oregon, uh, you know, being off the bye week and being at home and all of that. And I think maybe they didn't play as well as you would have thought, but they still had those slight advantages that helped them and, and kind of helped them put over the top. Obviously missing that field goal, uh, you know, 37 yarder or whatever it was that, you know, eight times out of 10, Washington's winning that game based on on that kick, right? You're probably going to hit 75, 80% of those. What you what did you think of the way Chris Peterson managed that? Yeah, like you could have, uh, I mean, I don't know. Is there a big percentage difference going kicking from 30 from 37 37 does seem like it's still like you know if you're like at 31 or 30 it seems like that's probably maybe 10 or 15 percent i don't know well my my thought is more oregon's defense isn't great um and you've at that point i think the ball was at the oregon 20 with like 30 seconds to go something like that i would have taken i would have at least thought about going for the touchdown let alone just setting up for a better field goal. It just seemed it was a pretty conservative call at that point, yeah. especially with a kicker who has been shaky this year. Right. Um, you know, to rely on a kicker at that point, I think you can, if you, you know, you trust your guys, you've been moving the ball. I, I feel like you could have done a little bit more. So, it, you know, probably a little conservative. I just don't know if it's a 27 yarder versus 37 yarder. Like what's the, What's the difference in like, you know, make percentage? It's, it's probably, I mean, it's, it's substantial. I yeah. mean, it, it would, it would probably be, it, yeah, I think it's probably 10% difference. If you look at like the broad base of kickers. Yeah. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is like, they had a timeout still at that point. Like, I think they, they might've even had two timeouts at that point because they used one at three seconds to go yeah. uh, to set up the kick. I, I just think, you know, you have a senior quarterback um, and yeah, he's been prone to some bad decisions at times, but for the most part, he manages games well. Um, yeah, I'm going to get so much crap for saying that, but I think he does for the most part um, manages games pretty well. At least trust him to, you know, take one shot at like at least getting it 10 yards downfield or 15 yards downfield because um, at worst, you're just setting up for the field goal anyway. Yeah. Well, this was like overall, though, like this was, you know, Browning had that early pick. 
where you talked about he needed to get more air under it so uh, you could get your return guys get down there. And <laughs> I thought that, but you know, after that, I thought he looked pretty good. It was like a three, three game. And then Washington, um, you know, the ducks fumbled a kickoff return that gave Washington some early momentum. I felt that was like, now the ducks are playing from behind early. And that was a big deal. We know Jake Browning's not always that comfortable playing from behind. So getting that special teams, you know, um, Turnover, I thought, was a big deal. But, you know, the Ducks end up getting a good return, and they tied the game at 10. Uh, there was that targeting call at the end of the first quarter that canceled out an Oregon sack. That ended up being a big play. But overall, I felt like the defenses were playing pretty well. But then, and you know, t- touchdowns early at least were coming on short fields. Then I think the offense started opening up a little bit more. Um, they're not really – Oregon doesn't blitz a whole lot, but they were trying to get pressure – on Jake Browning, it seemed like they were blitzing more than they normally were doing. I, I know the offensive line for Oregon got banged up a little bit. Penny Sewell kept coming uh, in and out, but there was, you know, I thought there was pretty good even play, you know, all around, and and you know, and you know, winning that one in overtime that felt about right, um, you know, for for the way this one ended. But it was a you know really good game. There was some weird refereeing stuff like there always is in the Pac-12, but overall, um, I thought it was a great game. Yeah, I think the one thing that stood out to me was how desperately Oregon needs a second option at receiver. Um, Dylan Mitchell was the clear number one target for like almost 100% of this game yeah. for Justin Herbert. Um, Jalen Red might be that guy who emerges. He had a really nice touchdown catch in this one where he had to toe tap um, in the in the end zone um, with a ball that was just thrown to the outside. Um, but I don't know. Um, I don't know if he can be that kind of big time guy that D- Dylan Mitchell is, but they definitely need somebody else because it just seems like Justin Herbert's having to lock on to Dylan Mitchell quite a bit. Um, and to his credit, Mitchell's still able to get open and do a lot of stuff, but you can't just do that with one guy. Um, and uh, I thought that was, that was kind of a, a, a critical takeaway for me from this one, just how much they need a second option. Yeah. Uh, this is a different Oregon team too. So if you haven't watched and you're expecting, I mean, this is like a punchy in the mouth, Run the ball. Oh yeah, uh, you know, doing that in overtime. I think uh, the I think Washington was in a dime defense, and they ran, uh, they ran up, you know, and and got six yards and scored, you know, on third down. So um, I, I I feel like it's a different kind of team. You have an offensive line guy as your head coach now. It's a it's a little bit different now. It's still pretty fun. Um, you know, Justin Herbert still can sling it around, but this is a team that wants to to you know push you around a little bit. So I. I'm really impressed though with what I've seen from Oregon. And, you know, I came away, you know, pretty impressed with Washington too. It's just unfortunate because there's no you know, undefeated teams left. Uh, you know, Washington gets that other, I think Washington probably had the easiest path to try to make the playoff Oregon. Unfortunately, uh, you know, really bad out of conference schedule because Texas A&M, it can't, you know, they tried to have Texas A&M uh, if they would have a Texas A&M win on the, the resume this year. I think the one loss to Stanford wouldn't be as big of a deal right now. Uh, obviously, we got a long way to go, uh, but you know Washington's loss at, at Auburn, who just lost to Tennessee, who my wife loved, but, but I mean they're they're not that good of a football program. That's a te- that's a game you got to win. Like Washington needed to win that game, looking at the way Auburn is now. So overall, Dave, it's just not looking all that great <laughs> for the Pac-12. No, no, not a good picture right now. Um, but we'll see. Uh, you know, or- Oregon looks legit. You know, but the. The, the AP rankings come out is Oregon. Oregon's like 12 or 13. I forget which. Um, 12. Yeah. 12. Uh, Washington's like 15. And then Washington State's 25. Uh, there's four SEC teams ranked ahead of Oregon right now. So it's a, even if, you know, one of the, you know, 
two of those three teams or whatever, they just like, you know, uh, win the rest of their games or one of them wins the rest of their games. I just don't know if it's going to be enough uh, to get in. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But it's not the ideal first seven-week stretch. If you're if you're a Pac-12 fan that would like to see one of the teams in the conference make the playoff, this has not been the best start. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so should we preview? We got six games, Dave. Every Pac-12 team is in action against each other. No out-of-conference, no BYUs. No Notre Dame's nothing. It's all Pac-12 versus Pac-12. I feel like we should preview these football games. Keep it in the family. Okay, so first one, uh, we have Stanford Cardinal. I can always tell when Dave really wants to move along. Uh, he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're taking on the road. They're going to Tempe to take on Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> So this is a Thursday night football game. Our first Thursday night Pac-12 football game of this year. I don't know if there are any others, actually. Um, this is at 6 p.m. on ESPN. Stanford traveling to Tempe. Stanford is a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Okay. Two-and-a-half so, points. So Stanford is coming off of a bye, as is Arizona State. But I want to focus on Stanford for a second because they've lost two straight. Um, in blowout fashion, uh, lost badly to Notre Dame, lost badly to Utah. It was the same formula in each one, which is both of those teams were able to pressure KJ Costello and make him make bad, bad, bad decisions. Um, the question is, is Arizona state going to be able to do that? Um, I, I don't know. Um, a lot's going to depend on whether Stanford's offensive line has improved at all in the, uh, bye week. Uh, they looked really bad. Um, the last couple of weeks against two good defenses. Um, and Arizona state is not that good defensively. Um, but even still, uh, that's a worrying sign for me, um, that, that Stanford looked so bad on the offensive line. Um, and Arizona state, uh, they had Nikhil Harry get hurt, um, in their last game. And then he wasn't practicing last week. There was talk that he'll probably be ready to go this week, but he might still be dinged up a little bit. So this is kind of a, a tricky line for me. Um, if we're, I, I feel pretty good about taking Arizona State plus the two and a half here, actually, just because I haven't seen much from Stanford the last two weeks. Now maybe they figured something out in uh, in the last you know week and a half since they last played, but there's now a formula I think for attacking KJ Costello. Um, you you got to put pressure on him. And if you're able to do it, and this offensive line has allowed teams to do it, that that whole passing attack falls apart, and Stanford hasn't been able to run the ball at all this year. So there's a combination of factors that makes me think Stanford's going to have a lot of trouble offensively um, just going forward, no matter who they're playing. Um, and with that, I think I'll take uh, I think I'll take Arizona State plus the two and a half. I don't know about to win, but definitely plus the two and a half. Nice. Okay. Uh, I think this is. Uh talking to some betting friends they're like you know what when you're taught two teams coming off a bye you got to look to the better coach and i'm going to give david shaw the uh, edge over herm edwards it's a close you know it's it's, <laughs> all, it's no, no it's clear almost a pick em. i think stanford's <laughs> done pretty well uh historic last couple of years off the bye i don't feel good picking stanford especially laying points and especially laying points on the road but i'm going to do it i'm going to pick stanford in this one I just got to have some confidence in David Shaw being able to get this team ready and play better. 
and Tepe. Even though I feel like Arizona State is like, I, I my gut is they're in the cusp of being a little bit better. They've lost some close games. I think they're going to do better, but I'm going to go with uh, with Stanford this one, Dave. So All right, we're going up different right off the bat. That's that's amazing. We usually we usually stay consistent for a while, and then we make our divergent picks. Yeah. All right. Uh, so next up, these are Saturday games. We got Colorado Buffalo. Yeah, you know it's not not a rough road trip for them after going to USC. Now they're going to Washington Huskies. <laughs> um, so this is this is a twelve thirty game on Big Fox uh, five and one Colorado traveling to number fifteen Washington. Um, Washington's favored by sixteen and a half points. Uh, Whoa. Jeez. <laughs> What do that, make of that? So, so the big thing with USC's defense is they get upfield. Washington's defense doesn't. They're not super disruptive. They like to bend, not break, um, which I think plays more into Wash, uh, Colorado's offense's hands. Um, the big question for me is if LaVisca Chanel is going to be fully healthy for this one. We don't really know. Um, he had a toe injury. I think he'll be fine, but I'm just basing it off of that. He's on my fantasy team and I'd like him to play this. week. Oh yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time I, from the press box, like with my binoculars, watching them like work on his foot and spray the magic spray and all that stuff. But he never came back. Yeah. I wonder if it's just kind of turf toe or something like that. Um, but he got his bell rung too. That's the problem is like, there was the, you know, collision with, uh, Pallier and and they, uh, and he was not right after that. Like he was not doing his usual LaVisca Chenault stuff, um, after that play. So, um, all right. So Washington, I I think they're equipped to slow down Colorado, but are they really equipped to score a lot on anybody? I kind of think no. Yeah. Um, and Colorado's defense was yeah good enough. I thought against USC, they shut down the run. Oh, fine. Um, and you know they could have had probably a couple more picks. Um, didn't, but had two. So I'm going to take Colorado plus sixteen and a half. Um, they might be in a little bit of a letdown spot. They might not have Lavisca Chenault, but even still, I don't know if Washington is 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 at this point built to t- beat teams by. 16 points. I think they'll win, but I'm not taking Colorado. I'm not taking, uh, I'm not taking Washington to cover 16 and a half. Yeah. I think they're going to win too. And I don't feel good at all trying to say that Washington's going to win by 17 points, but I just saw Colorado in person, Dave, and this was not the Colorado team. I saw, uh, if they're going to look like that on the road against a disciplined Washington team, who's not going to have 13 penalties, and make things closer than they need to be uh, in the fourth quarter. I think Washington might, without like trying to r- run things up, could do it. Um, especially if Chenault uh, isn't hurt. I, you know, Montez, the USC got pressure on him, and he just it, it was he wasn't the same guy. And I know that Washington plays a different kind of defense. They're not really you know across the line of scrimmage as much. But you they know, put no pressure on quarterbacks. Yeah, none. They don't do it. So maybe that allows Colorado to to move the ball better and you know run it with McMillan and stuff like that. But my gut is telling me, and it could be very wrong, and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go against you again. I'm gonna go Washington in this one. They're gonna win it. Two touchdowns and a field goal. They'll win by 17. All right. So it's <laughs> gonna be 17 nothing then? <laughs> maybe. 
I just, dude, I just saw them. It, it, it was not pretty in person. Uh, so we we both have that built-in thing, which is the just saw them bias. Oh. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna demonstrate it with our next pick. <laughs> Um, (laughs) it's beautiful all right so next up this is for the who's going to be the cellar dweller next week we have california golden bears heading up to uh the emerald state not the emerald state what is the the tree state oregon state beavers (laughs) don't we do this what is the the the, beaver state they're the beaver beaver state. state Yeah, but it's hard yeah. because there's still ducks we, there. You don't want to say it's the Beaver State and insult the Oregon we've, people. We, we have we have we have screwed that up no fewer than four times <laughs> on this very podcast. Um, all right, this is at 1 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Cal going at Oregon State. Cal is a seven-point road favorite over the Beavers. Um, I'm going to operate with my just saw them bias, and I'm taking Oregon State in those points, baby. Uh, so Cal's offense is atrocious. Oregon's defense, Oregon State's defense is atrocious. Um, but Oregon State's defense just had a week off, so maybe they got better. I don't know. Cal didn't. Cal's offense is still really bad. Yeah. And if they make any attempt to start Brandon Mako in any more football games this year, I'm taking whoever they are playing in every single game. Um, defensively, uh, Cal's defense is pretty good. Um, UCLA was able to move the ball against them. Oregon State has a pretty good offense, actually. Uh, by the numbers, Oregon State actually has a better offense than UCLA. Um, so I, I think Oregon State's going to be able to score a little bit. I'm not confident Cal's going to be able to score a lot. So I'm definitely taking Oregon State plus seven, and I wouldn't be shocked if they pull off the upset. Yeah, 100% with you there. Um, you know, I think with the – you're talking about Colorado. They had to do a tough road trip back-to-back. Cal had a tough home game, right? I guess UCLA, they didn't have to go on the road, but now they're going to have to go on the road, play Corvallis, which is, you know, it's never easy. Uh, I mean, licking their wounds a little bit after getting drudged, but, you know, just crushed by Oregon State, I mean, uh, by UCLA. I kind of think Oregon State's going to win this one outright, but getting seven points to me is a no-brainer. Uh, probably means Cal comes out and plays their best game. They don't turn the ball over and Oregon State looks awful, but I'm in this spot after a bye, I'm going to take Oregon State and the points. It worked for me in the state of Oregon last week for both of us. Let's see if it works again. The the home dog after a bye worked in week seven. We'll see if it works in week eight. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Speaking of uh, the Beaver State, which is tough because now you got the Oregon Ducks. They don't really like each other. And then they're on the road taking on Washington State Cougars. It's game day. Oregon and Washington State is getting game day. Old Crimson. In Pullman. In Pullman. Kyle Bonagora is so happy right now. Oh, my God. He's doing backflips. It's so cool. Uh, this is the first time ever. 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 And two, it's like 250. So, Old Crimson, The if you don't know, I mean, you should probably watch a little bit of this, but the, the Washington State flag is made. I think it's 255 or something like that, like game days in a row. And but it's never been at home. They've never had it. And last year could have been USC and Washington State, but they moved that game to a Friday, so that couldn't happen. Um, there was another opportunity, I think, and it didn't work. But this is going to work. Two ranked teams. They're coming to Pullman, and I, Kirk Herbstreit tweeted it out. I thought it was, it's like one of the coolest things 
ever. So this, it makes me want to like, I'm going to USC, uh, Utah, but man, it would be cool to go up to just to see that. It'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So very, very cool. All right. Let's talk about this football game. You ready for this football game? Yes. What's the spread? 4.30 PM. Oh, big Fox, big Fox, two big Fox games. Yep. Number 12, Oregon going at number 25, Washington state, both teams, five and one, both teams, two and one in the pac 12 North. This game is for pole position in the pac 12 North. Um, Washington state is favored by 1.5 points. Hmm. I have no idea what to think of this game. Um, so if you're so Washington State this season is back to having a truly great offense, like it's uh, number thirteenth in the S and P plus. Um, their defense is just okay, but they and Oregon have the two best offenses in the conference this year. Um, both teams don't have very good defenses. These are both pretty evenly matched teams, I think. Um, the question is, I guess, which one do you trust more as a coach standpoint? Um, and I, this is a weird thing for me to say. I think I trust Mike Leach more um, just oh. because we've we've seen a little bit more from him over the years. Yeah. I trust him to scheme well against that Oregon defense. Um, gosh, I don't know. I think the emotions of getting game day in Pullman, being at home, I think Washington State would – I would probably favor them on a neutral site. So getting a point and a half or giving a point and a half at home, I'm fine with that. So I'll take, I'll take Washington state here. I'm i uh, I'm going to be go with you on this one. All the emotion, um, you know, having, or, you know, Washington state had a buy Oregon had crazy, crazy, crazy emotional game against Washington where they thought they're going to lose and end up winning it over time. Now you got to go on the road. So it's just another one of those things where, one team coming off a bye, the other team traveling. I'm going to take the home. Now, in this case, it's not a dog, but it, it, on a neutral field, they would be, um, like Dave said. So it's basically a pick em. I'm going to take Washington State, uh, lay the one and a half. That uh, wouldn't be shocked uh, for Ducks fan. I mean, if Oregon comes out, plays really well, uh, we'll see. I, I think both of these teams are, you know, I put them number one and number two in my power ranking. So I, I feel like these are both really good teams. I just feel like that might be a little bit of an edge with Washington State right now and everything's going on there. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think it'd be cool for them to get a big win uh, game day. I want to see Lee Corso, uh, you know, what are they going to do for uh, for the Cougars? What what are they going to, what, what would he do? Like, is there some Cougar head, put a Cougar headgear on, right? I guess he would do that. So I think that's, yeah, I think just Cougar head, right? You know, he puts the, yeah, he's got to put that on because he's put the duck hat on many, many times. So I think he'll put the, you know, a cougar hat on or cougar head on and everyone's going to be going crazy. And, uh, yeah. All right. I'm convinced. Even if I'm wrong on this one, I feel bad because it's just so cool that Washington state's getting this, this honor. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's really very cool. Um, from like a game breakdown perspective, I mean, if you're looking at Oregon's defense, probably the strength of it is the rushing defense and, Washington, uh, Washington State. state if, yeah, if you're familiar with Washington State and Mike Leach's Orv, uh, they don't really run the ball a whole lot. Um, no. And Oregon's Oregon's passing defense has been a little bit leakier than I think a lot of people expected this year. 
They do get after the quarterback pretty well, though. Um, and I think Washington State, you know, they haven't given up a ton of sacks. Um, but I think part of that is Gardner Minshew is actually pretty mobile back there. He's not a runner, but he's pretty good at avoiding pressure. Um, that would be something to watch, you know, knowing Jim Levitt, um, knowing what kind of coordinator he is, he'll probably have a pretty good game plan in place to try to get pressure on Minshew, um, and make that happen. Cause I think if Oregon just tries to sit back and, uh, and just play, you know, contain and try to let Washington state, um, you know, complete stuff underneath I, Washington state's fine doing that. And they'll march down the field in 16 plays and score. Um, they're completely fine doing that. So I think, they're going to have to try to get pressure on Minshew, um, but Washington State's been pretty good at avoiding that this year through a combination of, I think, fine enough offensive line play and Minshew being uh, pretty good at avoiding sacks back there. So that's going to be the tale for me. If if Oregon State, if Oregon can get pressure on Minshew with any kind of consistency, um, then I'll feel a lot better about their chances. But yeah. um, if it's anything like Washington State is, I think they are. Yeah, they're they're fourth in the country in um, allowed sack rate. They're only allowing sacks one point six percent of the time, uh, which is fourth in the country. So if uh, Oregon's got a got a tough road there, yeah, so we will see. Should be a really good one. Uh, this will be a good one. Kind of the de facto Pac twelve South championship potentially. USC Trojans on the road in Salt Lake City taking on Utah Utes. Honestly, the South is such a mess. I don't know if anything is going to be um, the de facto championship. I think whoever wins is going to be like, I don't know, six and three. You know, there's going to be some garbage champion. Anyway, this game's on at 5 p.m. Pac-12 Network. Big 5 p.m. game on the Pac-12, Pac-12 Network. Ne- uh, can you believe that USC Utah is on Pac-12 Network? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous that the Pac-12 South, the biggest game in the Pac-12 South, is getting relegated to the network it deserves because <laughs> the Pac-12 South is such garbage. Um, USC going at Utah. This game features uh, Utah favored by who? Six and one half points. Man, that's that's a lot of home respect for their those those Utes of Utah. Um, so this is an interesting one. Um, night game in uh, in Salt Lake City. I mean, night ish game. What is that? Mountain time, six p.m. Uh, yes. Okay, so it'll be like, you know, getting into the twilight stages. Um, it is, so Utah's pretty good at home. Um, they have definitely hit their stride of late. Uh, USC's run defense has been good-ish, but up and down, I would say, is probably the fairest way to describe it this year. It started off pretty poor, um, has been better of late, but... Um, I don't think that's like a pronounced strength for USC. I think what we were talking about earlier, eating up like short passes, eating up all that kind of dink and dunk stuff. But if you're able to run right at USC, I think you can gain some success. And I think Utah's starting to establish an identity of being able to do that. Um, and especially when you combine the quarterback runs, I don't know how disciplined USC is. I think they have a tendency to over pursue. So the zone read game, I think can be pretty effective. Um, especially when you combine it with an athlete like Tyler Huntley and those backs, um, for Utah, Zach Moss, Armand Shine. Um, I think Utah will be able to have some success, uh, offensively. And I don't know where USC's offense is going to come from. I think they're going to have just as much trouble running against Utah as they had last week against Colorado. Um, and then JT Daniels throwing against this defense versus throwing against Colorado, I think is going to be a slightly different story. 
I think Utah's going to be able to get more consistent pressure on him. Um, yeah, I like Utah. I'm going to take them minus six and a half. Um, I think they are just a better team at this point. And also being at home, um, that can be a rocking home environment. Uh, I think there's a lot of soft factors why you would take Utah, but I think just from a play on the field standpoint, uh, Utah's just a fundamentally better team. And I think they have the right makeup to actually win this game uh, somewhat comfortably. Yeah, and I think uh, I don't think it'll be a blackout game. I think they did that for Washington, right? I believe so. Yeah, do um, they try to keep it just once a year? Pro- yeah, they, who knows? Maybe they'll do something like that. But it's big. Um, I think if it was more than a touchdown, I'd think about it. But under a touchdown, I'm taking Utah. Um, I think just there's a lot of those factors that you know that that go Utah's way. And I've been kind of doing my picks this week based on that. But you know, being at home, um, USC, I think could have a real emotional letdown with Porter Gustin uh, not being out there. And I think, you know, he has seven sacks on the year. They have six outside of Porter Gustin. Um, I think they get some really good athletes and then get pressure, but it's a different defense when he's in there and disrupting things. And I, I, I'm just not sure if the morale, the psyche of this team, how they're going to respond. Cause I think Utah's a place you can go and get punched in the mouth and then I'm not really sure, you know, if they're going to be able to bounce back uh, from something like that. They did. That, you know, Colorado came out and scored first, and they were able to bounce back with a big second quarter. But I don't think the the throwing the ball deep and and hoping for a PI call or or completing a deep pass consistently is going to work uh, against the Utah secondary. Um, it's I don't know I just really like this defense at all three levels. And you got a guy like Chase Hansen who just seems to just be wherever he needs to be cleaning things up. Uh, you know, I, I feel like they could contain Zach Moss pretty well if they can, you know, they, they hit him behind the line of scrimmage. But it's going to be some of that misdirection stuff. It's going to be faking one way and uh, Tyler Huntley running the other. Um, I, I think he's been an effective runner the last couple of games when they've been putting up 40 points. I think they've done a really good job at the play-action pass. So I think they can do things to take some of that pressure off. I think USC not having Porter Gustin will take some of the pressure off. So I feel pretty good about this Utah offense. Maybe not to the you know 40 points, but something similar where they're they're actually moving the ball. Not the early Utah offense we saw were struggling. We know the special team is going to be really good. We know the defense is going to be really good. So I, I like Utah here as well. I kind of think they win by 7 to 10 uh, in this one. Yeah, that seems about right. I uh, like USC has actually covered two spreads in a row. Now, one of them was the missed extra point by Arizona, but the, you know, this last one they covered and, you know, they almost gave it up, but they, they, you know, they covered it fine. So here's the thing. Both of the last two games, if you like, we were both like, look, USC probably wins this game by a lot, but we just can't do it. Yeah. There's no part of me that thinks USC is covering this game. Yeah. Like you could like, Utah just looks so much better over the last two games than USC has looked basically all year that it's just it's so hard to see it yeah but that which which totally means they're gonna like roll them or something but i don't yeah, know <laughs> when i say things like that when i get really definitive i don't feel that's really a good great now. that's a great time to bet the other way <laughs> i should switch my pick now there is no one more wrong than me when i'm confident <laughs> we'll see what happens okay um all right so that was our fifth game our last our last game, this is Arizona Wildcats on the road, taking on the on a winning streak now, UCLA Bruins. 
All right, so this game's on at 7.30, ESPN 2, Arizona 3 and 4, going at UCLA 1 and 5. Uh, this one, like, kind of weirdly opened and then was immediately taken off because I think whoever put it up didn't realize that Cleo Tate was hurt. They had it as Arizona minus 1, which, first of all, Cleo Tate or no Cleo Tate, that's insane for anybody who's actually been watching these teams the last two weeks. Um, UCLA is actually favored by seven. It opened for real at UCLA minus five and a half and then immediately jumped to UCLA minus seven. I would take UCLA minus 17 in this football game, uh, but seven, that's fine. These two teams are trending in opposite directions. Arizona looks really, 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 really bad. UCLA, if you actually took away the first five games of the year and you just watched the Cal game, you would say, okay, that looks like a good team just taking care of business on the road. Um, now, obviously, you can't take away those first five games, and there's always the chance that they'll regress to some level there, but it's been two games in a row where UCLA has made steady progress, and if you want to count Colorado, their offense made progress in that one. Um, I, I'm going to say even if UCLA doesn't continue its progress and even if it regresses a little, it's still more than capable of beating Arizona by seven, so give me the Bruins. Yeah, so this is a seven-point spread. Uh, I agree with you. It could be you know, easily double digits. It could be 14, 17 points. I'm taking uh, UCLA in this one. The way, what we've seen from Arizona, it's, it's not pretty. UCLA is trending up. I might even Dave, I might even pick UCLA as my survival pull pick. Like, would that, would that be nuts? Okay. So what do we got? I don't think that's nuts. Actually. I think this is one of those areas where, um, I think when teams kind of turn it around mid-season, it's a little bit hard for um, Vegas to pick up on it quickly. Um, and this feels like one of those situations. Like UCLA, they look different. Uh, I mean, I, I, if somebody has, if people people don't have the Pac-12 network, so if you didn't watch UCLA versus Cal, no shame on you. But the running game has just changed the complexion of this UCLA offense, and they're more than capable of pounding Arizona. Yeah. More than capable. So I, I think I kind of have to anyway, because, okay, so the biggest spread, you know, you, you're out, so you can help me. Uh, Washington's got the biggest spread. I've already picked Washington. Um, I don't know if everyone else has. Let's see. Uh, you had um, Monster Tiger hasn't picked Washington yet, so he could pick them. There's uh, no other pick to pick. I mean, there's no other pick. I mean, Utah you've already taken, right? Uh, you, so yeah, Utah and I wouldn't feel really good taking that one. The other one would be Oregon state, which I haven't taken. So they're, oh no, no. Um, oh, they're getting points that you'd have to take Cal. No. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have to take Cal. <laughs> you can take Oregon state to win that game. I would, I would more like pick Oregon state in that game than Cal. So if that, that tells you what you feel good about. Yeah. So I'm, I'll take UCLA in my, uh, in the survivor pool. I think you have to, I mean, I, I think it's a, I don't think it's like a perfectly safe pick because they could always regress just suddenly and take a huge step back and throw like four picks or something. Yeah. But that's the kind of game it would require to lose. Like it would require Dorian Thompson Robinson, like turning the ball over like five times and that can't happen. He's a freshman playing football, but, um, I, I wouldn't bet on it. No, uh, three. So three of our colleagues went out picking UCLA. That was in the first week. Uh, Chris Cartman, Angie Machado, and Matt Prem. They've, so we've not heard from them because they all they took Arizona the first week. Dan Sorensen took Arizona the first week. I'm sorry, UCLA the first week. Dan Sorensen took Arizona, and then the other person out was you. You you lost with Stanford when they you you caught their downturn before you realized it was their downturn. Um, cool. All right. Well, those are our quest. Those are all our uh, our picks against the spread. Those are our recaps. So we got we got to get into uh, questions now. 
It's time to do some questions. Nice. All right. Um, let's see. You don't have any where... big issues with the, the power rankings, though? It seems about right. Like It seems fine. Yeah. I don't have any real problems with it. Um, it seems mostly fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see. Where did we leave off? I think number 21. Like the, the text message. From Ute fan here? Yeah. Is that... Did we get that one yet? Um... No, we didn't. I think we recorded before this. Okay, so, all right, I will start with this. All right, Ute fan here. The vocal minority here in Utah seems to be calling for a head coaching change. Frustrations with the offense seem to be rising. As the only South team not to win the division, some fans seem to want something new. As outsiders, what are your thoughts on Whittingham as a coach? I'm a Whittingham guy and think he's the right guy for the job and does a lot with the talent he has. I still believe Utah can contend for the South frequently and could potentially win the conference at some point. Love your stuff. Would love to hear your thoughts. At McKinley J. Well, I, this was obviously written before they got through their second uh, absolute beatdown of a Pac-12 opponent um, in a row. Uh, so if you look at the trend line for Utah, uh, they're trending way up. Yeah. Against, Was- against Washington State on the road, they were super competitive and could have won that game. Um, they established that they're going to be a running team. Then against Stanford, they beat the crap out of them on the road and established whole hog that they're a running team. And then Arizona, they kind of rounded into form and beat the absolute P out of Arizona uh, by 32 points. So I, I, I think they're kind of figuring out who they are offensively. Um, they're establishing that identity. They're going to be a pounding offense that is going to run the ball and pass when it needs to. Um, and I think that's probably the right identity. It's probably what they should have settled on from the start of the year. But as we just talked about, the South is up for grabs. Utah could still win the South. And right now, from an eye test perspective, I think Utah, we've already seen them be super competitive with Washington State. I think they'd be super competitive with Oregon. If they come out of the South, they could win the conference. That's not out of out of the question at all. Um, and a lot starts this weekend. But as we both just talked about, we think they can beat USC. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, he's a great match for Utah. So I, I, I wouldn't. I don't know why Utah fans would consider that. Um, I mean, I, the odds of you getting someone better that would do a better job, I guess it's certainly it's possible, but I would say eight out of 10 times, you're probably going to be worse off or, you know, uh, so I, yeah, I, I like, I like what he's doing there. I mean, when you have the best special teams year in and year out, there's some good coaching going on. You know, there, I think there's a lot of spots where they're doing really good things. Now, has it been perfect and, has the offense looked crappy in times and things like that? Yeah, but I mean, they just put up forty points two weeks in a row. Um, you know, the schedule's the worst as far as they had to play all the, the the hard teams. There's two crappy teams in the north; they missed both of them. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, they, they still have a good chance to win the south, even if they lose to Oregon at the end of the season. I think six and three could still do it. Now, it might be tough, but because um, they would, you know. But we'll see. I mean, there's a. Uh, I, I like him. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't have any issues. I don't know why you'd want to fire him. Yeah, I think I think there are some concerns about the offense that are valid. But if they go ahead and and figure things out this season and put it together and win the South and then compete for the actual Pac-12 conference, I, I I don't know how many more complaints you can have at that point. Yeah. All right, we got an email. There's a lot in this email. Uh, Hiffle who? This is from Hector. Uh, what's up, Brian and Dave? Just finished your show. Nice work, and please keep it up. We could t- we plan to do that. Uh, I wanted to respond to your boy Hithlo Who and his take on Chris Peterson in classic yuck tradition. Yuck would be a Oregon duck. reference. D- okay, duck. So oh, so M- must be typo. a typo. 
Yes. I, why isn't super close to a D on on the <laughs> traditional keyboard? But maybe he's using some elaborate thing. Yeah, one of the flip phones. You know where you have the shared buttons. Yeah, on, that's probably what it things. is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has cherry picked the shit out of the stats to support his shitty take of life. Might I point out, by his own standards, the architect of Yuho's uh, golden age was sub five hundred against marquee out of conference opponents. Furthermore. Look, know, now you're now you're insulting Chip Kelly, and I will not stand for it, Hector. <laughs> so that's who he's referring to there, Chip Kelly. Um, so his record versus top twenty five opponents, uh, four, I mean, two and four, uh, lost to Boise State, Ohio State, Auburn, LSU, and uh, beat Wisconsin and K State. So he he included a little chart there for you. He said, furthermore, I know you guys are lazy and short on content, but. Short on content. We have two-hour shows every week. Come on. But do you realize Hitler, who is a staff writer for Addicted to Quack, since he professionally does this for a living, I don't think he does that for a living, isn't it a bit no. sad he writes in weekly with the rest of us? Is no, it- no, no. It's, it's sad that we record a two-hour show every week. Yes. That's, that's-, that's like a little bit sad because we get... I mean, what are we making from this? Like four dollars a month? Is that something? Like- <laughs> yeah. Is that what it is? Well, at least we're not paying four dollars a month anymore, but um. He said, this is the equivalent of a sports sports talk radio guy calling into another station's post-game show. That or the 15-year-old who uh, hoops with the junior high kids because he's too much of a loser to play with his peers. Tell him if this whole writing thing doesn't work out, uh, he can always pump my gas. Which I think in Oregon, you have to, yeah, right? That's a, so that's he put he included, like it's called uh, uh, SB Nation Addicted to Quack. So it's an SB Nation site. Um, there's a lot, I mean, I don't know the layouts of the site specifically. He's a staff writer listed down there. Um, I don't think they're, you're typically getting paid a lot. It's more of a volunteer sort of thing. I I don't, I'm not speaking for Hitler day, so I don't know. So it's not like he doesn't write for like the LA times and he's calling in, um, and, and, and talking about the ducks or anything. So I, I wouldn't hold that against him. Uh, Hector, but Hector, you're writing into our show, Hector. Yeah. Come on. You probably get paid as much as he does to to write about college football. It's not I mean, I think there's some neat opportunities for fans to be able to write for some of the blog sites. Um, you know, I don't I don't oh, check it all. Actually, out. If, if you're an Oregon fan, I cannot recommend enough. Actually, go read some of Hithwood's stuff. He he does full film breakdowns that are actually really good for Oregon's games. So check them out. Oh, nice. Um but anyway but you definitely want to go to the 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 ducks the twenty four seven duck site because you know, our buddies over there kick butt. Yeah, so I would say, um, to Hector's point, yeah, but what are you saying here? You're saying Chris Peterson's kind of similar to Chip Kelly, and I don't think I don't think anybody's really disputing that, right? I mean, I don't think Hithliday's disputing that, really. I think, well, he did include that one line about um, Chip Kelly, uh, Chris Peterson not being elite, which is probably just a troll. Um, right. But, I mean, they're, they are pretty similar, and I think they're in similar situations. Oregon wasn't necessarily recruiting at, like, a top, 20 consistent level and neither is Chris Peterson. And I think that bore out when you watch them against, when you watch them against elite talent opponents, um, they need to be pretty perfect against those teams. And when they're not, they, they lose and they can lose pretty hard. Um, so yeah. And it's two unique programs, Washington and Oregon, where they don't necessarily have that top 10 recruiting base. Like, uh, in the Pac-12, the only schools that can probably consistently recruit at a top 15 level are USC all the time, and then UCLA can do it when they have the right mix of uh, of coaching. But that's more location-based than anything. Um, everyone else kind of has to work a little bit harder to get that occasional 
top 15 class. I agree with you there. Uh, should we go to the next one? Yep. All right. This is Go Buffs. All right. This is from Christian. Oh, no. Uh, this, hey, that's not, you don't want to read that one. No. Oh, wait. Oh, crap. Is that the right one? No. I, I don't. No, that's a that's a request. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't screw. I that should one read. Up. I should read these ahead of time. Are you I, I actually did, so that's why I was like, I responded. So someone was actually wanting to like help us out with the site, so I responded to them. But uh, yeah, oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. So this is from Cody. Whew, this is a long one. All right. I'm stretching. I'm gonna Get go ready. take a nap. You go. All right, Ryan something. and David, big fan of the podcast. Thanks for your coverage and commentary on the Pac-12. Two questions. All right, so just so you guys know, I'm looking at this thing. It's two questions, and I'm looking at two. Uh, one is eight lines long, and the next one <laughs> is ten lines long. Two blocks of text. Okay, yeah. so if you're going to ask questions in the podcast, please keep them somewhat brief. All right, anyway. During the pinnacle of conference realignment a handful of years ago, I, along with many buffs, was a big fan of the idea of CU joining the Pac-10 when the rumors started circulating. Most of the CU alum I know felt that Pac-10-12 was a much better cultural and academic fit for for Colorado versus the Big 12, despite being outside of the geographic footprint of the Pac-10. The only Big 12 city and campus outside of Boulder that most of us were really interested in visiting or attending away games at was Austin, Texas. Further, not to sling mud, but some Big 12 schools are not necessarily hovering near the same academic research, etc. standards that CU should look to be associated with. In the pack, there are so many more schools and cities that feel like natural fits for CU alumni to visit and explore. My question is, from your experience and standpoint, is this cultural quote-unquote fit of CU in the Pac-12 reciprocated by most of the other alums and schools in the conference? In my experience thus far with other Pac-12 alums, it generally seemed like a very good fit, especially since CU recently stopped sucking so badly at football. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think 100%. Sure, I think it's a great fit. There was a great story recently about... I think it was, uh, I mean, Wilner kind of put it together about when Arizona State and Arizona joined uh, from the Pac-8. And, you know, the research aspect of it being research, you know, uh, universities. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. So, yeah, no, to me, it seems like it's a really good fit. Yeah, I I haven't seen anybody. And nobody, I don't think anybody sits around denigrating CU. I think think some people still uh, throw the occasional insult out at the Arizona schools, uh, which is, Mostly history based because Arizona and Arizona State have both improved quite a bit in the last, I don't know, 20 years. Um, but I think when they first entered the league, there was some talk that they were uh, they were bringing the rest of the league down, bringing the pack eight down. But um, I think they've both improved quite a bit since then. And I, I haven't heard any of the same stuff about CU. So I think 100 percent a good fit. And then. Second question. In 2016, by the end of the regular season, the Pac-12 South division title came down to CU, USC, and Utah. Colorado prevailed with the division crown in 2016, but ultimately USC finished the season as the better team with the fantastic Rose Bowl win versus Penn State. Based upon the roster and who's set to come back, I speculate that Colorado will again be pretty good, maybe even better in 2019, as long as Montez doesn't leave early for the NFL. Chenault has to stay one more year, few, and I think both of our lines should be improved next year. We get most position groups back, generally intact, except for safety, which we have some good young guys who I think will be ready to step in and do well. I always expect USC to be at least pretty good, if not great. I expect ASU to take a step back in 2019 by losing so many seniors. U of A and UCLA may be relative wild cards. And Utah is always decent to good, but never breaks through enough uh, for a division title yet. 
Based upon where we stand halfway through the season and my general speculation above about the other Pac-12 South teams, it seems like this Pac-12 South may be contended between USC and CU for the next couple of years. Of course, this is college football and chaos reigns supreme, but given what we know now, do you agree that CU could be counted amongst the better Pac-12 South teams for the 2018, 2019, and beyond, potentially contending for division titles? I think there's a way to, that's a good read there, Dave. Um, so like next year, what the grad transfer running back, who I like a lot, McMillan's gone. I think, uh, Gambora, the, the, uh, linebacker would be gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, Montez is back again. It, I, I want to see how they play the rest of the season though, because he, they just did not look good. I think you sent this in before the, the USC game. Um, they look like there's a pretty big gap between USC who didn't play all that well and, and Colorado who came in playing really well. So I, I'm not sure. I think they got that potential. Um, but they didn't, the year they won the, the division, they didn't beat USC that year either. Right. So they've never beat USC. So it's, it's hard for me to say that when they've never even beat USC before. Yeah. And so uh, just from an uncertainty standpoint, I have a tough time projecting anybody to contend consistently as like a division, uh, God, contend consistently as a division contender. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> contend consistently as, as a contender. Yeah. Uh, God, it's late. Um, but what I'm saying is if you don't recruit at a consistent top 20 level or top 25 level or even a top 35 level, I have a hard time seeing the consistent uh, contending just because it's hard to replace talent at that level unless you're truly got like a great system and a great program just humming. And I'm not yet ready to say that about Colorado. Um, I think they've had they had a good 2016, had a big step back last year, and it looks like this year is going to be a very similar year to two years ago. Maybe not 10 and four, but um, you know, probably like a nine win team this year, maybe eight, but you know, definitely a good season. Um, but I think that's kind of the nature of a lot of programs that don't recruit at an elite level, which is you have up and downs, uh, ups and downs. Um, I think Mike McIntyre is a really good coach. I think Colorado, now that they have it, now that they've gotten out of the that awful period with Embry and everything that went on the last you know decade before uh, McIntyre, now that they're finally fully out of that, I don't think they're going to revert to being like a one-win team or a two-win team ever again with McIntyre there. Um, but I think some ups and downs, some peaks and valleys, I think that's to be expected unless they can kind of you know, really tap into the Texas roots even a little bit more in terms of recruiting and get to like a consistent top 35 recruiting level. Cause I think McIntyre is a good coach. I think he can work with that. Um, but right now I just, I, I don't know if they're going to have the talent replacement necessary to um, consistently sustain su- success. Yeah. I think that'd be tough. Uh, but th- I mean, I think they'll be in it. I mean, th- but UCLA is looking better. You could project them to be in it. Uh, Utah is always up there. Uh, you know, they had a kind of a, you know, the bad, I think there were three and six in conference last year, but for the most part, I, I, but I think you, you, some good stuff from Colorado this year shows you, Hey, they, they have that potential, but man, that they just did not look that good in the USC game. We'll see if they can bounce back and play Washington tougher on the road, then uh, we'll see. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm curious to see what, where the season goes for Colorado at this point. Um, We got a question from Bob. Hey guys, this is Bob from Anchorage. Is that in Oregon or is that? No, that's somewhere else, uh, right? A- Hawaii? Anchorage is, uh, it's that place <laughs> off the coast of Mexico. I think they call it Alaska. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> the coast of Mexico. 
Uh, it's you know to the southwest of Mexico on all the maps. That's right. Well, you could walk to Russia from Anchorage, right? There's, no, yeah. No, no, not exactly well, no, because right. Russia's not southwest of Mexico. <laughs> Come on. The Aleutian. My grandfather was uh, stationed in World War II, like in the Aleutian Islands, as like an air traffic controller. It's like insane, apparently. Um, so this is the thing. Uh, first time writing with the questions, y'all. But I begin with. I'd like to express my gratitude for you guys for this awesome podcast every week. I only discovered this podcast a few months ago, but I've been a dedicated listener since. Well, thank you. Uh, So to my question, you guys uh, always mention how the SEC games their system to make it easier for their top programs to be successful. Could you guys elaborate on this topic? Also, I was just wondering if other conferences, ACC, uh, the Big Ten, Big 12, also game their system or not. Sincerely, Bob. I think uh, the SEC is the most egregious about it. And the big one is they have eight conference games and none of the teams are shy about scheduling, if not one, then two uh, FCS schools in those uh, non-conference games. Um, Florida, what's the thing on them? They haven't left the state of Florida for a non-conference game in like forever. Yeah. It's like like 30 years or something crazy. Like they just, the schools themselves have a commitment to just winning games at all costs. Um, and I think the conference gets that rep, but I think it's the schools themselves. They're all very serious about potentially winning a national championship. And they understand that the formula, it, it doesn't really matter what your strength of schedule is if you go undefeated in a major conference. And so they, they game the system to, to uh, allow for the possibility of the fewest possible losses for the top teams in the conference, if that makes sense. So eight conference games means there's one fewer loss for everybody. Um, you're not playing nine, so that's one less game where somebody's got to lose. And um, they set it up so that if it's not a buy right before the big games of the year with the teams that are projected to be really good, it's usually a you know a patsy or a cupcake the week before. Um, they they do a much better job with their scheduling, and they do a much better job with aligning the mission of the conference, the game makeup of the conference, with actually winning national titles. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think. If, uh, you know, just watch, like, look at the, the if you only have two Pac-12 wins, you're like, Arizona has two Pac-12 wins. If they were in the SEC, they might still make a bowl game. Like, Arizona's going to be terrible this year. But you can go two and six in the SEC, but you win your other four against Cupcakes. You're six and six, and you're a bowl team. So there, it's just completely gamed. Last year, the two best teams in the, the Pac-12 were Stanford and USC. They played twice. Uh, the two best teams in the SEC, Georgia and Alabama, did not play until the national championship game. So you can go, you know, years and years without playing teams from the other division. Uh, it's 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 a completely game system where they are they're not going to put, uh, you know, Oregon this weekend has to go play on the road at Washington State after a bye. They wouldn't do that to Alabama. Uh, last weekend, Washington had to go play against Oregon on the road after a bye. They wouldn't do that to Georgia. Like that, that's not allowed. So it's not that that makes a huge difference, but would a game that Oregon Washington game, if Oregon wasn't coming off a bye, it was that close. Washington might've won. And now you're talking about a whole different deal. So you're, it's not like it's, it, it's guaranteeing a win or a loss, but you're, you're helping one team or the other. And you're hindering the, the biggest problem is you're hindering the best teams quite often. So uh, that's just not something that would stand in the SEC because that would that would take away from their ultimate goal, which is to put two teams in the playoff and win a national championship. Yep. All right. And then this is from Mike. Uh, hey, guys, thanks for doing this pod. It's one of my favorite listens throughout the year. 
Would it be possible for UCLA and USC to join the Big 12? I'm counting the days until realignment happens and we have four super conferences. No way in hell the Pac-12 survives when realignment comes, right? I'm really tired of standing by and watching Lair Bear, my, my nickname for Larry Scott, ruin the, run this conference into the ground. Poor officiating, poor negotiating, poor strategy, poor scheduling. Pretty much every last thing he's touched has turned to crap. Is there no accountability? He, f- he said shit, but I'm. this is a child-friendly podcast. I've already said shit twice because I read it in the email, so I thought... You now know. we've said it four times. Uh, <laughs> is there no accountability for this clown? The only thing he excels in is being an SJW, which is one of the dumber insults in the world. Rant over, go Bruins, hashtag save Clay. Okay. Um, so would it be possible for them to join the big 12? I say no. And second, um, I think the PAC 12 is the one that would survive and the big 12 would go away because the geographic limitations of fitting the rest of the PAC eight into any other conference that would make sense, uh, doesn't make sense. Um, and I don't think UCLA and USC from a geographic perspective, make any sense in any other conference, except for whatever the West coast conference is going to be. Maybe there's a merger where the big 12 and the PAC 12 merge, but um, I'm having a hard time seeing anything where, you know, we talked about this last year. I just don't see that happening. I, I, I can't see them actually leaving uh, a West Coast based conference to suddenly fit in with Texas in a Midwest based conference. I think it would be tough. I, I think they, if, if they wanted to, I don't see the desire, but if they felt like that would be a pretty strong package for anybody for a Los Angeles market and two teams that each have over 100 national championships and the success in basketball and football history. I think it would be a very, uh, they could, they could shop that around. I don't think they would, but I think they potentially could if they wanted to, I just don't see that happening. Um, what's SJW social justice, social, social justice warrior. Ah, okay. So that's what they're calling Larry. Um, he also said hashtag save clay. So I have a lot yeah. of UCLA people that want, uh, clay Helton to save his job somehow. So I, I don't know why I guess they like clay Helton. So, um, they must think he's a really nice guy. They don't mm-hmm. want to see him fired. So that's what I assume. Yeah, no, they game. just love him. They think he's lovely. And, uh, you know, you don't want people to lose their jobs. Yeah. And I do think the Pac-12 would survive, not because of how it's well run. Think of, uh, like, Napoleon marching into trying to get to Moscow or Hitler trying to do, you know, in World War II. It, it, you had this, you know, Yes, they had better armies and they were better run, but they had the the geographic protections in the winter of, you know, Russia. All that stuff worked against uh, the invading armies. It would be really hard to, because to, to, the West Coast is so secluded, to have like Texas join and, and, and you know, it, I, mean, I think you could potentially do that, but it, it would be hard to, for it to go away and not not have where are you going to put Washington? Where are you going to put Oregon? Where are you going to put USC? Where are you going to put UCLA? It's just, there's, there's enough out there where it just kind of is protecting itself. And even if it's the worst run conference in, in history, it still has some advantages just being geographically where it is. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to imagine Texas and Oklahoma joining a PAC 12, um, with two other teams because, you can make a division out of Colorado, Utah, the Arizona schools, and four new teams from Texas or Oklahoma because that's that's geographically sound, right? Yeah. Those teams all playing each other. Yeah, it's flights, but those aren't insane. Um, but when you start to try to incorporate the Pac-8, you know, the original coastal schools, uh, that's where it gets wonky. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I kind of okay. think – I agree with Dave. I think it would be the Big 12 that would get uh, kind of – 
siphoned off. Like some of it would go west, some of it would uh, go east. Is my guess. Yep. Uh, we have one from Ryan. Who's the jagoff who asked you to shorten your shows? Probably a Larry Scott enthusiast, if not the man himself. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. I love that. Uh, do you want me to read the next one too? Since we Scott. Yeah, sure. Okay, Scott. Hey guys, DVLTYM here. Um, Devil time. Oh, okay. That's probably what I thought it was like some acronym for something. Okay, love the podcast. I offer. I often wonder if the Pac-11. I don't recognize the University of Mexico. Wherever to increase the that's got to be that's got to be Arizona, right? <laughs> or to ever increase Look, my favorite my favorite part of doing this show is learning all of the like different insults that fans of different teams use for the rival team. Yeah, because I didn't like obviously like I used um I, I for the first time in in many many moons I had the opportunity to go through the litany of different acronym like different actual words for the USC. Like University of Second Choice, University of Spoiled Children. I had I had like the 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 opportunity to do that this weekend at this wedding because I saw a USC guy, but <laughs> I, it never occurred to me that like and I, this is a blind spot that other schools had like all of these different things too. Yes. Like calling U, U of A University of Mexico <laughs> that never occurred to me. No, me neither. Yeah. Um, anyway, I like that. He said, "Well, so so he's talking about Arizona, but he." misprint whatever he says the university of mexico were to ever increase the teams even by two who do you think they would be if they increased by four do you think they would break the conference up into four divisions san diego state colorado state byu boise state i don't think you're thinking uh i think you're i think those are teams are all out like it'll be something bigger like when they make four power conferences is what i think but um it seems like uh, he says, it seems that by doing so, you could use the same formula for su- success as the SEC by playing only eight conference games instead of nine. Granted, it's all hypothetical as Larry uh, can't figure out direct TV deal out. No way in hell he could add two teams, let alone four, or for that matter, understand how an eight-team conference schedule could boost the conference's chance of making the playoff on a more consistent basis. Shout out to Lobo Jangles for turning me onto the best podcast on the interweb. Sun Devil for Life, Scott in the 480. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, I don't think any of those are realistic, really. Um, maybe San Diego State at some point in the very distant future, but I don't think they would be in the first group um, of an expansion. Um, I think they're still going to try to target Big 12 schools if and when they ever do it again, um, particularly Texas. I think that's the big one that they want. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see how that goes next round of this all happening. But no, I wouldn't see them doing a low-key expansion like this. I don't know what value it would bring for them. Yeah. Um, All right, and this is from our man Thomas. You know, we didn't read his email last week, so even though this is a long one again, Thomas, Thomas. I'm going to read it for you. All right, UCLA, and it's also a topic I want to talk about. Uh, UCLA's on-campus stadium. Uh, Hi, Ryan and Dave. I felt kind of sad last week hearing so many regular listeners writing into the show. When the discussion turned to why UCLA does not have an on-campus stadium, I couldn't hold myself back any longer. I am surprised neither of you pointed out to Nick that UCLA, oh, I think what he's saying there, is that he hasn't been writing in because we made fun of him about the length of the emails. So then he writes a long email to follow that up? (laughs) No, but I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Love you, Thomas. Never change. All right. I'm surprised neither of you pointed out to Nick that UCLA and USC both played in the Coliseum until 1982 since time immemorial. The Bruins only left because the Coliseum Commission switched its revenue-sharing distribution to entice the Oakland Raiders to move south. The commission was eager to do this because the Rams had moved out a couple years earlier and the Coliseum was strapped for cash. Yes, that's right. UCLA can move closer at any time to Westwood, but probably never will. 
The reasons are many, and even if there weren't, I suspect there's just too much snob appeal with playing at the Rose Bowl itself to motivate them to ever want to play anywhere else. This does bring up a really good question, though. The Coliseum itself is not actually an on-campus stadium either, but USC is not alone in that it has its stadium off-campus, but still only a short distance away. Northwestern and South Carolina come to mind as examples here. Just how close does a college football stadium have to be to campus for it to confer the same benefits to the school as an on-campus one does? Or is there no comparison in programs like USC and UCLA will always be at a disadvantage? Your favorite bete noir, Thomas. Okay, so Thomas... I think the biggest difference is that the Coliseum, for whatever it is that it's off campus, is walking distance yes. away. Um, it's not. Uh, I, it's such a. It, it's a, it's almost a semantic difference because you walk from campus and then it's literally like right there on the whatever the museum grounds or whatever that is over there. Um, it's not. You're not walking around Los Angeles to get there. Um, it's just. You're on campus, and then right next door is the Coliseum. Yeah. So it's... If you're not going to set a Fitbit record walking to the game, then you're probably okay. If you did that from Westwood to Pasadena, you'd have like 50,000 steps. Yeah, and so I think it's... um, And I think that actually almost adds to the mystique because you've got a little bit longer for that walk through campus with all of the like tailgating going on and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, So I think that actually adds to it. Being able to tailgate on campus... And doing all of that, yeah. I think, is a big feature for USC that UCLA obviously doesn't have. And, you know, schools like what's the other school that has it way off campus? Is it Miami? Is that right? Yeah, Miami's is pretty far, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think schools like that, they don't get that benefit. Um, now, is it a deal breaker for anybody? No. I mean, UCLA's recruited at a top five level before. Um, so it's obviously not a deal breaker. But would it be something that would benefit uh, fan support? young alumni growth, um, all that stuff. Yeah. Hell yeah. I think, you know, the student section only fills up for UCLA games on the truly big games. If it was on campus, I think you'd have a different story. Um, so yeah, I think it's a big deal. Um, I think it would help. I don't, I I kind of agree with you. I don't know that it'll ever get to be a big item for UCLA ever again to want to do that. But, um, I think it would be very cool if they did. We have, uh, yeah, agree with you. I think it'd be awesome. Um, I, by the way, speaking, you mentioned the museum, uh, that's expedition park and stuff over there. Have you ever gone to see the Endeavor, the space shuttle Endeavor? It's I the, did. It's very cool. It's pretty cool, man. It's like a freaking space shuttle in a building. We're like walking around, like where is, I took, my sister was in town. Uh, so we, we, we took her over there and uh, it was pretty neat. Yeah. Very cool. They got that big, uh, fuel tank and just seeing the videos. I, I was there when it landed at LAX. My wife and I went there and we took some pictures of it landing back in 2012. And then it took like, you know, a few couple of weeks or whatever to, to get all the way. Um, and it was a couple of weeks. It was like a few days to get, uh, to drive all the way, uh, from LAX to, uh, to, to LA, to downtown LA to get there. But it was pretty neat. If you go, if you're in LA for a game or something, definitely go check it out. It's free. You don't have to pay, but you go to the, uh, uh, science museum, California Science Center, and uh, check it out. Cool. Uh, Justin, hey, guys, can you talk about this on the air next time? It's not about the call. So this is the third-party decision making the targeting call. It made no difference in the game. If if anything, you could make the argument against the Trojans that Gustin's no call affected the game for Wazoo. You certainly should make that argument. Uh, it's about applying the rules comp- uh, competently and not having random bureaucrats untrained in the decision, overruling people who are at at least supposed to be the ones making the decisions. There's no way the SEC would do this. That's true. They actually have stuff in place to make sure that doesn't happen. They already have that. Uh, which should 
uh, which maybe should be a litmus test for the pack until they uh, aren't grossly mismanaged for a while. Would the SEC do this? The answer is no. Uh, good chance the pack shouldn't be doing it either. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I think there was a story about the SEC where it's like there's in the rules like these pe- no one can have any impact on this. You can't have an outside view. Um, the, the head of officials can't be involved in it. So I, I think there was I read something about that, but it was really interesting, Dave. Yeah, I um, I don't know if I would take the SEC on everything. Um, I think there are some things. Yeah, I, I still like the nine game schedule. It's just me. Um, but yeah, I think with stuff like this, I mean, we've done it to death, but I think that's probably looking at other models for how uh, conferences build in safeguards against potential corruption and cheating and all that kind of stuff, I think is valid and worthwhile and something they should have been doing all along. I mean, that's just why try to reinvent the wheel. Just look at whatever other people do. So, yeah. Um, All right. This is from Nick. Shout out rundown preview and question. Hi, this is Nick from Zypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Shout out to Ryan Abraham and Dave Woods. No nicknames this time. <laughs> rundown Arizona 10 versus Utah 42. This was a lot like last week for Utah in this game, blowing out Arizona as they did with Stanford the week prior. Big matchup next week in Salt Lake City for the Pac-12 South title. Arizona needs to lick its wounds and get back in the win column. UW 27 versus Oregon 30 in OT. This is a back and forth game where UO had a chance to win before OT or UW, I think UQ, whatever, had a chance to win before OT missing a field goal. Oregon beat its rival in UW to give them the only hope to rep the Pac-12 North, win the conference and play in the playoffs. If only they didn't lose to Stanford a few weeks ago. Fuck la. Uh, just that F key again. Yes. Uh, 37 to Cal seven. Uh, again, the F key. Uh, fuck la finally gets that first <laughs> Chip Kelly W. Uh, Cal is trending downwards and in jeopardy of not being bowl eligible. 20 Colorado versus USC 31. The game started slow. Lots of punt. The Visca had one good run in the Wildcat for a TD. After that, USC passed the ball to ball, passed the ball to Pittman to dominate the game and win. Colorado is no longer undefeated and leader in the Pac-12 South. Big game for USC and Utah to own the Pac-12 South. Preview. Stanford over ASU. UW over Colorado. Cal over OSU, a.k.a. Garbage. Game day, Washington State over Oregon, SC over Utah, Arizona over ugly. Uh, Question for, yeah, weird. Uh, Question for both Dave and Ryan. I watched USC versus Colorado and PG went helmet to helmet on a Colorado player in the second half and hurt himself. The question is how I and everyone else can spot it, yet the refs can't. What would you guys do to fix the refing problem in the Pac-12? They seem to not catch a break. They should probably have like uh, some of the executives be able to help out, you know, when they <laughs> do a good job. Uh, yeah, the helmet, the helmet there. Um, so it wasn't an obvious targeting um, because LaVisca Chenault lowered his head too. Um, but they did end up helmet, helmet to helmet. What happened to the just good old helmet to helmet call? Yeah, I don't know. And that uh, that was weird too because I had – some national media members tweeting out that's definitely targeting. And then other people saying there's no way that's targeting. And it's a case where like, could there be targeting on the offensive player too? Is that ever but, possible? But I don't know. Only if, only if he's launching and, and trying to hit with the crown of his helmet. And he clearly wasn't, he was, he was going to protect the ball. And so he's putting his head down. Um, you know, he's not trying to hit anybody with his helmet. And, but I don't think, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Naote Ote. You can say uh, EA. Just say EA. EA. Um, why does his last name start with a G if it's Nah? I I, I don't know. But I, I was uh, covered him in uh, the 
was it the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii? And I was like, this is throwing me off because I always understood Polynesian names to be very phonetic. And the fact that it's an N when it's a G looking at me right in the face is is throwing me. Anyway, yeah, he told me that. Um, I was like, okay, whatever you he want. Clear, he wasn't intending to hit him in the head either. He was he was launching already. And yeah, he probably shouldn't have had his helmet down. So I think I would have probably agreed more with a targeting call there just because you should dissuade him from lowering his head like that. But he wasn't intending to hurt anybody like yeah. that was very clear from watching that play. It wasn't like that, that Gustin play from a couple weeks ago. That's, that's the kind of targeting where it looks, it probably, I'm not going to speak to his intentions. It looks almost malicious. This one clearly wasn't. Um, so I, I'm fine with the no call. I probably would have been more fine with a call just because I think that's the way you dissuade guys from doing that for their own safety. Cause that's, I mean, obviously it knocked him out of the game. Um, but I think that's the only way you've got to call it. I, I think you have to be pretty strict with how you call it. I think that's yeah. the way to uh, to fix it. Cool. And then uh, Dave and Ryan, simple question. Who wins the South and North of the Pac-12? Who wins the conference? And does anyone rep the Pac-12 in the playoffs? Ruiz order. No. <laughs> yeah, no for that. Uh, who do you think wins the South? <laughs> um, right now, gun to my head, I'll take Utah. I'm going to also take Utah, but that's who I had at the beginning of the season. So I'm going to stick with that. Uh, beginning of the season in the North, I had Washington. They've lost to Oregon. They still haven't played Stanford or Washington State yet. So I I might go with Washington State win in the North. I don't know. What do you I'm think? I'm taking Wazoo. Yeah, I think I'll do that too. And we'll get a rematch of, a, of what was a fun game. Um, I... I'll say Utah wins the conference. They're doing it. Utes. Wow. Uh, I'm going to take Washington State to win the conference. Cool. All right. We'll see. I picked Washington at the, the beginning, so it's close, but I'll just say Washington State. The power, the power of wishful thinking. This is our buddy Hitler Day. Uh, what are you boys' opinions of Wazoo's offensive line? I was a bit little shocked when reviewing the game against Utah how often the Utes were successfully getting pressure when rushing only two men with the third as a QB spy and dropping eight into coverage. Uh, Minshew was really impressive to me, evading tacklers in the backfield and staying alive to make the play in that game. Has he been having to do that all year long? So why, why does he bring up games that happened like a month ago for us? To because he, because he does his like film reviews of Oregon's opponents. Uh, so w Washington state is probably the next one he's looking at. Um, Interesting, because I, I sort of noticed the same thing with Minshew. Um, he's pretty mobile back there, which allows him to kind of uh, move around a little bit. But even st so, sometimes two and three man rushes are just weird for offensive lines to defend. You'll often see that occasionally, where weirdly a two man rush with guys like kind of standing up in odd places will make a offensive line confused. Um, which is, I think, kind of what we saw against Utah a little bit. Just I think it was confusion. Um, I think the offensive line for Washington state is pretty good. I don't think you have such a low sack rate just from a quarterback, um, you know, running around back there. Um, I think they also get the ball out really quickly. So I don't even know how much of a pass rush really even has a chance against a, a, a team running that sort of system. So I think it's a combination of factors. I think Minshew's pretty mobile. I think the offensive line is fine. I think it's pretty good. And I think they get the ball out so quick that it rarely even matters. Um, so that'd be my take on it. Yeah, no, I think it's a, 
it's the system. It's, it's just hard to sack the quarterback when you're able to do that. And they, they've shown the ability to get it out quick for stuff that's, you know, uh, catch a ball behind the line of scrimmage and then go take off and run or get out into an open, you know, uh, soft spot of the zone pretty quickly, hit them on a quick hitter and and then keep running downfield and keep your momentum going. I think they've shown the ability to do a lot of different things with a quick passing game. So that's just part of the, when that's like a, such a huge part of your offense, it's really hard to, to get to the quarterback. So, but Hitler, I love, I mean, it's like we saw that game like a month ago or something. It's really hard to remember exactly what happened. Like ask us about something that happened like this past week that we have at least a Not better even. chance. Not even. Just ask us about, to speculate about the future because we don't remember things. That's um, true too. All right, this is from Earl in West LA. So is Cal not as good as you thought? Guys, turned on the Pac-12 network four times this week and got soccer, field hockey, and basketball twice. What a waste. <laughs> Ryan, USC has beaten the spread two weeks in a row. What say you? I say uh, one of them was a fluke because it was a missed extra point. So if they if they cover the spread this week against Utah, then I will reconsider picking them to cover spreads. But until they got to win two weeks in a row, like legit, and then I will I'll consider it. Uh, and then he says, now that my suspicion that Colorado is not that good has been confirmed, just how bad is Cal that lost at home to UCLA that lost at home to Colorado? Off the cuff responses are fine since Dave does no research. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. He does research. Um, Cal Cal's offense is horrible. Cal's defense is fine. Um, probably pretty good, actually. So I don't think they're atrocious. I think they have a crippled offensive situation that they need to fix by starting somebody else at quarterback. But I don't think that they are a, a purely awful team. They still have potential. It's just they can't keep starting Brandon McElwain at quarterback. They just cannot do it. No, uh, it's just it's I thought it was going to be like a decent offense and a really good defense. I still think the defense could be really good. It's, but it's tough when the offense has turned the ball over all that much. So they, they got to fix things. You can't be that bad, not know who your quarterback is, turn the ball over. There's just too much confusion on the def- on the offensive side of the ball. And they shouldn't be. Bo Baldwin's a great coach. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but something's not passing the smell test. But they, they're, they're kind of hot garbage right now. Yeah. Uh, we got a text from KC. Hey, Ryan and the other guy. Uh, I guess that's you. Uh, unfortunately, I'll be out of the country for this week's USC slash Utah game, but I wanted to extend a warm welcome to Ryan to Rice Eccles. Well, thanks. Uh, I hope you enjoy your first game in Utah. I wanted to suggest that you eat at Pretty Bird in downtown while you're here. I guarantee that it will be the best chicken sandwich you will ever flap a lip over. I have never heard that expression. I'm also I also have been drinking the Utah Kool-Aid, so I will guarantee a Utah win this week as well. Thanks for the good work, Ryan. Give my best to the other dude on the podcast as well. KC. Okay, Pretty Bird. I'll have to remember that. We're at my whole team. We're, we got like a, an Airbnb. It, Utah's great because it's like there's the airport and you're like a few miles away from downtown and that's like a few miles away from the stadium. It's like all pretty close apparently. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the trip. I'll, I'll be there Friday night. You know, we got the game Saturday, watch some Pac-12 games, and then uh, leave Sunday. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but I will try to eat at the Pretty Bird. Cool. Very cool. I didn't get any fun recommendations, but I guess I'm not going to any games. So I guess why, that So why is he – so he's a Utah fan. Why is he – like, why are you the other guy? Is it because you picked Utah to finish fifth in the, the division? Is that why? Or I think it's just general insults, <laughs> which I think we encouraged um, oh, we a while did. back. Yeah, that's and true. I think it's I think it's you know, I think it's still fair and Oh, it was a text, so it was uh he wants to get a response. He wanted a response. Oh there we go. Yeah. But I don't so think he got good. one. But we read your text, so that's good, I guess. But. That counts. That counts. All right, this is from uh Brian. 
Uh, greetings, Ryan and Dave from the Garden Island of Kauai. I have been meaning to send this question in for a couple of weeks. I have noticed that during certain broadcasts of Pac-12 games, replay officials seem to be much blurrier. Replay reviews seem to be much blurrier than during other games. As you are media members, I was wondering if you have any knowledge of how the camera setup works. Is this a problem or difference with individual networks or with schools' individual setups relating to the number and quality of TV cameras used? It seems that every week a review is upheld due to a blurry replay, making it impossible for the review to be conclusive. This doesn't seem to be as much of an issue in other conferences and never in the NFL. Just something I've noticed and wanted to hear your thoughts on. As always, love the pod and thanks for doing this. So this is a great question. Go Beavs and fight on. Um this is a great question. So it's it's quantity of cameras. Um, you'll notice that like on the big ABC broadcast and the big ESPN broadcast, you will almost you'll always have an angle that shows you a play clearly because they've got like uh, the, uh, they've got a bunch of cameras just on the field at all times. And the more further out you go, ESPN two, it'll be fewer. ESPN U, it'll be fewer than that. But even like the worst ESPN broadcast always has that kind of crystal clear, high definition, the whole thing. The Pac-12 network doesn't have that same look and feel, um, and they don't have as many cameras. Uh, Fox doesn't have that same look and feel either. Um, The big Fox game will generally look pretty good, um, but anything beyond that, FS1 games sometimes look just kind of funky. Um, I I, I don't know the exact technical specs of how many cameras and what quality they all are, but... There is a noticeable quality difference, I think, between the big the sheen of a big ABC ESPN game and uh, and and the other networks. Yeah, I agree with you. And then, so I mean, the last Pac-12 game I covered for USC, there was a few problems too because the uh, you know the film reels for the cameras, like it was getting a little, um, it just was like off a little bit. So they had to replace the film a couple of times. So I don't know if that had a problem with it, but once they got it rolling, that it was streaming pretty well. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I sure. just tried to make up a thing and that didn't really work real well, but I, I give it a shot. It was beautiful. <laughs> I loved every bit of it. <laughs> All right. Quarterbacks from Josh. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal, loyal listener from Arkansas, Joshua. Uh, since you guys are part of 24 seven, I hope you can give me some insight on how quarterbacks are ranked. California had seven quarterbacks in the top 12 in 2015. They are Josh Rosen, Blake Barnett, Brady White, Jake Browning, Ricky Town, uh, Travis Johnson, and Sam Darnold. Two transferred and played, and two we never heard from ever. Are they ranked solely on physical skill? Is it as simple as you never uh, know how good they will be until you see them against a college defense? Or is there confirmation bias that the bust rate seems so high because we talk about QBs way more than, say, inside linebackers? Thanks and love the show. I look at that list and I see an incredible hit rate. What are we talking about here? Yeah, Blake, mean, Bar- Blake Barnett is starting this year and looks great. Brady White is starting this year and looks great. Josh Rosen was whatever the twelfth pick in the draft last year. Jake Browning has started most of four years at Washington. He's at every and, pack, and, every Washington record you could have. And Sam Darnold was what second pick in the draft? Uh, third, third yeah. pick, third pick in the draft. He, had, he, had, he threw for like three hundred yards, a couple of touchdowns, and the win. You know. This, and then you look at the, you look at Ricky Town as a special case because he was ranked really high as like a sophomore, and then this is something that I it's the I don't think you're ever going to see a guy just have a meteoric meteoric fall from the top 300 or whatever. It just doesn't really happen due to. I, I, but if you thought Ricky, he was that good originally, it's hard to say. No, he's really yeah, garbage. and Ricky got a lot. He he kind of fell in a way that's weird for a quarterback to fall because 
he was like physically done at like a, as a sophomore in high school. And then he regressed physically. Like he, his arm got weaker. Um, and he just didn't, all those things you are just automatically projecting about a quarterback. He just didn't, they didn't happen for him. And his, his arm never progressed the way it should have his arm strength. I would say actually regressed. And so it's just, that one was weird. And then, uh, Travis Johnson, who was Travis Waller. Um, yeah, I, I think, some guys, yeah, they'll just bust. You know, they go to college and it's just they have fun with college and they bust. He moved a receiver, um, I think. So he's playing yeah. in college. I mean, it's like he's it's not like he's not playing. He's playing at Montana State or something, I think. Yeah. Um uh, but you know, was he as good as 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 what we all thought in twenty fifteen? No. But I mean, I look at this and I, I see a, a pretty good list of quarterbacks. Um Sam Darnold was ranked a little bit lower because people didn't see him as much, I think. He was hurt um, his whole like junior year, but just the you would have them in there and realize, hey, this guy could be pretty good. Um, yeah, no, I, this looks good to me. Um, yeah. I think people have a mistaken idea of what a hit rate should look like. Um, the star system works. Um, five stars uh, end up NFL draft picks at a higher rate than four stars who end up NFL draft picks at a higher rate than three stars and who end up NFL draft picks at a higher rate than no unranked guys. Yeah. I mean, that's it works on a broad level, but yeah, you're always going to have a bust rate. Yeah, and it's not like unranked. It's funny. People tell me, that guy's unranked. See, the stars suck. It's like, well, no. Yeah, you know how many unranked players there were? There was 5,000 this year, and there were 25 five-star guys. So the, you're, you're I, I did like a whole story on this, and, and you go through all the data. Like your rate of success as a five-star is so much higher it's, you know, crazy. Like, yes, there's guys that are, you know, unranked for whatever reason that end up becoming pro bowlers, you know, but that's the exception more than the rule. In general, if you're going to just tie your horse to a random unranked player or a random five-star, you're going to win way more often with the five-star. Yeah. All right. We got to move. Yeah. All right. This is from uh, Scott in Washington. Pac-12 schedule thoughts. Ryan, Dave, a couple snarky takes, then an observation. Congrats to Oregon for having a schedule set up that included three scrimmages. <laughs> Then a home game versus Stanford, a road game against the 11th best team in the conference in Cal. Then a bye week followed by a home game versus your rival in UW coming off a road game the week before. You did what a good team should do and won the game. Since even Phil Knight and Nike knew he couldn't get the Pac-12 to let the Ducks have home games every year against the two other teams they will compete against the, against for the Pac-12 North in Stanford and Washington, he got the next best thing, and that's every other year. Well played, Zeros. What's interesting is many feel that USC locks up the South with a win versus Utah this Saturday. Had Oregon not choked the win away versus Stanford, they would have had the chance to do the same against Washington State in game day as well, as a win over the Cougs would have given them a three-game lead over each of them, plus essentially a two-game lead over the Huskies. And under that scenario, there is no chance Oregon is going to lose two of their final four games. Am I right that the last national champion in football the NCAA recognizes is UW in 1991, or did USC win one that wasn't taken away from the Reggie Bush scandal? They won, Either way, they won two. <laughs> Which one was taken away? There's no the NCAA doesn't recognize any college football championship. So the NCAA didn't take anything away. It's the the polls. So the Associated Press has USC as the national champion uh for 2003-2004. Right, but the BCS The BCS they only won one of those. Yeah. But okay. That, yeah. Well, whatever. What That's up, not an NCAA what thing. Yeah. Okay. Either way, it's bad, 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 but if it's truly 1991, we are approaching almost 30 years to the Pac-12, and that's just another reason why the rest of the nation looks at the Pac-12 as a second-tier conference. Uh, thanks for the show, and for one week only, go Cougs, along with go Dogs, as always, Scott in Washington. Nice, Scott. Um, yeah, no, you got to win some championships. I think Dave talked about this with the last you know, football 
it's been 18 years. The last uh, basketball has been how long? It's longer than that. Uh, it was Arizona in 97. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, no, that you got to win some championships. You can't just be like, oh, we made a playoff. And, and they're not even making the playoffs. So, uh, we got to get going. This is what Jigga Command. I don't know what this guy, uh, Dave and Ryan. It's from Adam, but I don't know what his handle is. Uh, thank you for putting together a show as great as the POC. I'm horrible at reading handles. Can you read that handle? What does it say? Jigguckman. Jigguckman. Okay, whatever. Uh, he said, the podcast of champions never disappoints. In addition, as a UCLA fan, you guys have been the only college football podcast worth listening to this season that doesn't cause the symptoms of BBS to flare up. I wanted to get your guys' take on the possibility that Chip Kelly is building a team that incorporates the Stanford philosophy. This past week's victory over Cal and glimpses from games against Washington and Colorado look very much like how Stanford plays. Heavy rushing attack, quarterback managing the game, long and demoralizing drive, stout defense that may bend but doesn't break with a sprinkling of well-timed blitzes. Cal fans may have had flashbacks of Toby Gerhardt slowly plodding down the throats of their defense for four to five yards to carry. As a UCLA fan, I sure had terrifying flashbacks, and at times my mind could not decide whether to shiver in fear or jump with elation. It is known that Chip Kelly, during his uh, time coaching with the 49ers, would also watch David Shaw's practices. Chip clearly isn't installing a blur offense at UCLA. So do you think he's been influenced by the sustained success of Stanford's identity? Is this the type of offense slash defense we uh, we should expect from UCLA moving forward? Also, how angry would Jim Mora have felt watching this UCLA slash Cal game? Keep up the amazing work, gents. Best Jigga Kuman from the bro board. He's Adam from New York in LA. Okay, so in reverse order, how angry? Uh, I don't think he'd be that angry. I mean, that was, um, but this was a thing that Jim Mora basically never did, which is win a game as a seven point or more dog. Um, and by basically, I mean, I don't think he literally ever did that. So Chip Kelly has already done something Jim Mora was never able to do. Um, now, obviously, Jim Moore was favored in a lot more games than UCLA has been so far. Um, is this the type of offense defense we should expect from UCLA moving forward? Yeah, I don't think they're trying anything that they're not intending to do going forward. I think it's a it's a silly idea that they would be working on stuff that they're not intending to be. Um, as for the larger question, yes, they are 100% working in a lot of different stuff. But one of those things is Stanford. Um, they were doing some ogre packages in this one. They had eight offensive linemen, tight ends in cer- certain plays in this game. Um, they're totally willing to um, do that ground and pound stuff. They're not doing a ton of tempo, but here's the thing. I think they want to do all that stuff. I think instead of looking at exactly how Stanford plays, I think they want to look more like Washington, um, which is being able to do basically everything pretty well. Um, And it's starting to come together a little bit, but um, I think that game, they did more of the Stanford stuff. But if you look at the previous game against Washington, that was more up tempo, um, a little bit more the spread stuff. I think they want to be that quote unquote multiple thing where they can do whatever they need to do to win a particular game against a particular opponent. I think at this point you have to take a little bit of what just Chip Kelly's saying at face value. Uh, when he says, you know, we're gonna we're gonna play whoever or do whatever we need to do to win this particular game. Um, I don't think he's approaching this with a uh uh, got like a system philosophy. I think they want to be able to work whatever bits of the game, what whatever the bits of the playbook they need to work into 
to win that particular game. Um, at least this year, we'll see what it looks like going forward. Maybe they find some things that they settle on. Maybe the fact that Josh Kelly and this offensive line are playing so well means they'll lean more heavily on the Stanford stuff this year. Um, but from what I've seen, they're trying to do a lot of different stuff. And so I don't think you can settle on just, Oh, they're trying to be Stanford. Um, I think they want to be everything. Yeah. I think, you know, Dave knows this more than me, but just to me, it seems like he's got some building blocks he's picked out. He had to clean some stuff up. He has the building blocks there, but you're not exactly sure what the, the castle is going to look like yet, but it's, you've got a good idea for what the foundation is going to be. And it might, you know, it might look different a little bit every week, but I think you're, you're getting the sense of it's not going to be, you know, like it's not going to be the full blur of what they were doing before, but you might have elements of that. But I think the building blocks, it, it's, it looks like it's going to be a tougher team than maybe, you know, what you were seeing at Oregon. Uh, then Anthony has a question. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Which losses would you rank as the most devastating for the Pac-12? Stanford loss against Notre Dame, Washington loss against Auburn, Oregon loss against Stanford. I have an answer. What's your answer? Uh, Stanford loss against Notre Dame. Yeah. Because if, I... you, if you deal Notre Dame a loss, then it um, most likely removes their possibilities of playoff contender. I think you take them out and then it, they're kind of a gatekeeper for the Pac-12 right now as far as the playoff go. Plus it makes the Oregon loss not look as bad to Stanford. Yeah. So I, I would agree, right. I would agree with you there because you hit two boxes there. You know, it would be great if Washington could have beat uh, Auburn, but Auburn's just not even that good now. It's not like it would be a feather in the cap. You know, I think the, the, the Notre Dame game would be a feather in Stanford's cap. Um, so a win for Oregon over Stanford would look a little bit better. But Auburn, any law, any one loss is forgivable as long as Notre Dame doesn't go undefeated is basically my take on it. But yeah. with Notre Dame going undefeated, that removes a spot um, if they're able to finish it out. And you just can't have that. So, OK, then I think we got one more. No, we're uh, done. Uh, oh, OK. This is oh, that was is that some weird. Uh, this is an advertisement of some sort. Oh, OK. All right. Fine. Um, sweet. Well, how do how, how long do we go? Two hours Over two and 16 hours. minutes. Two hours and 16 minutes. How did this happen? Oh, God. I blacked out for about an hour and a half there. I have yeah. no idea. We did have a lot of questions. I think that was, there was like 20 questions. No, 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 no. We can't just blame the questions. We recapped four football games for no fewer than like 55 minutes. Did it take that long? We went hard on those four football games. See, the previews don't take as long, but sometimes we'll get into it a little bit. I don't know. And we had the the whole scandal to talk about at the beginning. Yep. That's no, good. It was a good show. I think people enjoy it. You got all week to listen to this, you know, getting ready. Well, until Thursday, because Thursday is the first game now. But uh, yeah, do we think people time. are still listening all the way through? No, I think so. I mean, there's I mean, there's definitely people that are consuming all of it. I'm sure there's some people that don't consume the whole thing. Maybe they only want the previews. Maybe they only like the recaps. I'm not sure. But or they don't, maybe they skip out after the both of those and they don't get to the questions but there's a lot of people that just love they love it they just want you know there's not a lot of this out there so they want to talk back to a football yeah all right so i have uh i have children here now hi so children <laughs> hello children okay well dave that's david woods i'm ryan abraham thanks for tuning into the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time